Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Sportsnet 960, the fan. We're into the final five seconds now. This one will sting. And that'll do it. Well, they deserve a lot of credit for battling back. And tying this game at three, but Flames could not complete the comeback. The Golden Knights score two goals in the final one minute and ten seconds of the third period. And they defeat the Flames by a final score of 5-3 in a back-and-forth battle here at Scotiabank Saddledome tonight. Well, I don't exactly know how to feel after the Vegas Golden Knights ended the Flames' three-game winning streak yesterday at the Scotiabank Saddledome because there was plenty of good and bad on both sides of that 5-3 victory for Vegas. The Flames find themselves down 3-0 midway through the second period, only to come back once again in dramatic fashion, only to give up the lead 90 seconds later. Welcome to Pinder and Steinberg. Nobu Pinder, he's on his way to Florida for spring training, so I'm Logan Gordon back in the co-host chair for afternoons this week. Pat Steinberg going to join the show at 2 o'clock. But, of course, we have to start with the Calgary Flames. 5-3 losers to Vegas last night. I said there in the opening, lots of good and bad last night. The bad was pretty bad, and by bad I mean the start. It started looking like the old Calgary Flames at home were back once again. They seemed disinterested. They seemed late to the game. And it cost them. They were down 2 nothing after one period of play. They didn't exactly have it to start the second either. And that leads to Max Patch already making it 3 nothing. And all of a sudden, you know, you start questioning the goaltending once again. David Riddick did get the start for Cam Talbot yesterday. It would have been Talbot's fourth straight for the Flames. He hadn't lost in his previous three, as we all know. I don't know that Riddick looked bad last night, but he certainly didn't win the game for the Flames. He gave him a chance with the comeback and then a weird one by Shea Theodore with just over a minute and ten left in the game. It gets tipped by Andrew Mangiapane's stick and goes over his shoulder. It's kind of a weird angle goal, and then an empty netter ends it for Vegas. So the bad, not another good start for David Riddick, who continues his struggles at home. The Flames uh, lose their three-game winning streak, their two-game winning streak at home, which isn't much of a winning streak, but when you've struggled like the Flames have, it is something. But there was some good in last night's game. Uh, Milan Lucic was by far the best player for the Calgary Flames last night. He has a goal and an assist. He doesn't do it with his fists, but he certainly proved last night that he could be a difference maker. Uh, I call them the new 3M line. I thought Kachuk, Manjapani, and Backlund looked really good last night. They provide the tying goal uh, in the third period. But uh, once again, Riles, it kind of looked like the old Calgary Flames at home last night. They, uh, another comeback with a sucker punch uh, late in the game. Yeah, that, uh, that was a definitely a tough pill to swallow. Tough start, like you mentioned, which seems to kind of just be the, uh, what they do at home, and then they ca- crawl back into the game. It was a fun game. After that second period when the, flip or the switch kind of flipped, that was some playoff intensity hockey. It was a good game to watch, and then, yeah, just a total gut punch at the end there. Yeah, and the Flames, you know, were obviously not uh, surprised by that. They had the Nashville one with .1 seconds remaining on that road trip a few weeks ago, so that one was a little bit harder to take, but this one, uh, you know, equally frustrating if you're a Flames fan, I can imagine, because... You know, you come all the way back in a game that you probably didn't deserve to come back in. I can probably make an argument 
against Arizona, the, you know, the quick comeback, they were deserved. They were never really out of that game in Columbus. They continually got better and kind of deserved the outcome that they got. They didn't really deserve that comeback that they got last night. I thought it was an average game by Robin Leonard who got the start for Vegas in that one. But at the end of the day, you have a chance to pull within a point of the division leader and uh, or at least push it to overtime and uh, make it a three-point game either way. You wind up with one point. I think you got to do that uh, if you're the Calgary Flames. Interesting, the goaltending conversation comes back again. Uh, I'll ask you, Riley, and it'll be a question I'm sure that we ask everybody throughout the week. Uh, I would have started Cam Talbot last night. Uh, he's only given up four goals in his last three games. He you know, only gave up two against Arizona, two against Columbus. Uh, I can understand you don't want to give David Riddick too much time off. But uh, kind of tough to sit Talbot after winning three straight. Who would you have started last night, Riles? I probably would have started Cam, but I've also thought this out that like because of the three-day break going here, like that's over a week without a start for Riddick if he doesn't play yesterday. And I'm assuming Cam was playing against the Islanders no matter what. So that's another couple days. I don't know. I, I would have started Cam and just honestly rolled him until he lost. But... Uh, I understand why they went to Riddick, but mm-hmm. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, I don't think Riddick lost them that game, but by no means did he win them like the game either. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I, Riddick twenty seven saves, four goals against, an eight seventy one save percentage. Those just aren't numbers no. that are going to win you uh, hockey games. And I think the one thing um, that I, I wrote down when I was watching yesterday is it just feels to me right now especially on home ice here at the Scotiabank Saddledom where we are today, it feels like Cam Talbot gives them a little bit of a calmer presence in goal when he's here. Even when they're down 2 nothing, they feel a little bit better about 33 or about 39 in net instead of 33 that you know if they if they do make a mistake he'll be there to to give them that save when they need it and let them get back into the game. I admittedly Riddick did they do that yesterday, but I mean we had this conversation Friday before the Arizona game, and uh, guys like Matthew Kachuk talking to the media come out and say, you know, we don't want to get in these habits of getting behind in games. We want to be the ones up late, make the other team press, make the other team try to have to come back on us. And now for the third straight game, I, I know the Arizona one was a very quick one, but they got down early, and they've had to fight back in all of these games at home. It's not a strategy that you want to employ for the long term if you're looking to win games. Look, the good news is for the Flames, they're 6-3-1 and one in their last 10. They're in a good spot, not a you know home and cooled spot in the Pacific Division, but they're certainly in a better spot than where they were. And coming up, you've got uh, three days, which are going to be tough to sit on for the Calgary Flames before you welcome in the New York Islanders on Thursday and then a big Hockey Night in Canada matchup against the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday. I'm Logan Gordon filling in. For Ryan Pinder, Pat Simon, we're going to join the show at 2 o'clock today. we got a busy one for you. We'll talk to Ryan Pike uh, from Flames Nation. He's going to join us our Monday regular in the 1 o'clock hour at 1.30. We'll get his reaction to what he saw last night. Of course, you can always join in on the fan feedback line, 960-960. What did you see last night? The 5 o'clock start yesterday for the Flames, a bit of an early one on a Sunday. Um, down again and then having to force a comeback only to have it uh, blow up in their faces late in the third period. Then, of course, uh, I was going through the show. We'll have three burning questions with Riley coming up around 145. Elliot Friedman 
going to join us. Sometime in the 2 o'clock hour, we'll get Ryan Pinder as he's making his way to Florida for Blue Jays spring training. And, of course, we'll have uh, Kale McLean, the head coach of the Stockton Heat, joining us as well to get a look at the Flames farm team. Uh, we'll continue looking at last night, Riles, and um, I do want to give some credit to Milan Lucic here. Um, look, number 17 was the second star last night. He plays almost 17 minutes. Uh, and, <laughs> look, I don't, I'm not going to say that Milan Lucic is a sniper, uh, the goal that he scores to get the Flames on the board is one that I think Robin Lehner desperately wants back, but it awakens the team. He has seven hits on the night. He was all over the ice. He assists on another goal uh, to get the Flames back within one. He was the second star of the night, and he was well-deserving, and it's not a guy that I would have given credit for doing it. I thought if Milan Lucic was going to have an impact on, on a game like last night, I would have said it was probably in a fight with Ryan Reeves. Uh, both of them running around last night, but not really uh, with each other. So good for Lucic. Not a guy that uh, Flames fans rely on for offense, but he certainly gave it to them last night. Um, I was happy with that. What else really here? Oh, I wanted to mention, Riles, a couple guys that I wasn't super happy with. We talk about usage for guys. I said Lucic over close to 17 minutes last night. That means he's taking away ice time from other guys. Uh, Mark Jankowski and Zach Ronaldo. Jankowski runs in at 5.56 of ice time, just under five minutes for Ronaldo at 4.45. That's just not enough from your bottom six. You got goals from Dylan Dubé and Milan Lucic last night. That's going to help you down the road. Um, but if you're going to take out Tobias Reeder and put in Zach Ronaldo, maybe more than five minutes of ice time uh, is what you want to see out of Ronaldo. I didn't see much from him. I uh, should also mention Noah Hannafin left last night. Uh, he got hurt two minutes. He played about two minutes in. He took a an elbow, it looked like, from Brandon Peary, who was on the receiving end of a Milan Lucic hit. Uh, no update from the Flames on Hannafin today. They're off. They'll be back at practice tomorrow. So we'll see if Hannafin's out there and we can get any update on that. Because if Hannafin is out for any period of time, the defense really gets stretched differently as Gustafson and Forber were both over the 20-minute mark in the game last night. Now, uh, we always take a chance after the games to take a look back at the night that was, and we do that right now with our game in a minute. Good evening, hockey fans, and welcome inside Scotiabank Saddledome in Calgary for a big Pacific Division battle between Matthew Kachuk and the 36-26-7 Calgary Flames and Max Pacioretty and the 37-24-8 Vegas Golden Knights. Stepping towards the net, centering, and they score! Nick to Nick. Cousins finds Holden, and he one-times the block by David Riddick. And it is 2-0, Golden Knights. And the Golden Knights did now. Carlson to the net, drops it. Pacioretty shoots and scores! Max Pacioretty snaps the puck by David Riddick. The Golden Knights score a power play goal and take a 3-0 lead. The Flames have a three-on-one. Lucic, and up the right wing side, shoots and scores! Lucic beats Robin Leonard. He gets the Flames on the scoreboard. They cut the Golden Knights' lead to 3-1. to one. Across the Golden Knights' line and drop it. Dubé shoots and scores! What a shot by Dylan Dubé, who rips the puck into the top corner of the Golden Knights' net. The back of Anjapati, he steps in and centers. Kachuk scores! On a beautiful pass from Andrew Anjapati, Matthew Kachuk. Backhands the puck into a half-open Golden Knights net. Martinez takes the shot, 
Makes a pass, and now Theodore shoots off the crossbar. Did it go in? He scored. Somehow, Shane Theodore beats David Riddick. Flames could not complete the comeback. The Golden Knights score two goals in the final one minute and ten seconds of the third period. And they defeat the Flames by a final score of 5-3 in a back-and-forth battle here at Scotiabank Saddledome tonight. There is your game in a minute. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights 5-3 victors over the Calgary Flames. Welcome back to Pinder and Steinberg. I'm Logan Gordon filling in for Ryan Pinder this week. Pat Steinberg said to join the show at 2 o'clock. We'll head to the fan feedback line at 960-960. I heard, I talked to Pat as we were coming in today, uh, curious as to what overtime was like last night. Uh, He said it wasn't as bad as he maybe thought it was going to be. A tough one for the Flames. Look, it doesn't hurt you right now in the long term to lose to Vegas. You're chasing them down for potentially home advantage come the postseason. It's not a playoff spot on the line, you know, as it could be against Winnipeg come Saturday. So it's it's not the end of the world to lose this game. I don't think you like the fashion that they lost the game in, but certainly things could be worse from there. Uh, I would say that this is the embodiment of a you-blew-it game. Uh, Riddick played better than Lehner. Maybe shift your focus somewhere else. Uh, what else do we got here? Personally, I'm all in on Cam Talbot. I agree how much more calm his demeanor is, and I think the team feeds off of it. Uh, is Johnny Goudreau ever going to score on a breakaway again? Perhaps he needs a different move than five-hole, and will Zarnik ever return? Uh, I'm going to shift my focus to the goaltending because I think that's the biggest story to talk about from last night. Uh, David Riddick, 27 saves in the loss, four goals against, an 871 uh, save percentage last night. Um, I, I think you said it best, Riley. I don't think Riddick lost them the game, but I certainly don't think he did enough for them to win it either. Um, yeah, the first periods have been such a struggle for this team this year, and it's just seemed like any time that they want to get a lead, they want to be the team out in front of it, it it always seems to go sideways, whether it's been Cam with the last few games or even Riddick last night. But the difference has been for me, how the team has played in front of that goaltender after they've gotten down. For Columbus, they got down 2 nothing there, and they immediately started to climb slowly because Columbus, you know, we know, it was a low-event game against Columbus. They start the climb slowly against Arizona. The first shot of the game from Taylor Hall, that one goes in the net. Not long after, the Flames find a way to get back on the board. They're, you know, the comeback really short on that one. So it's not really the same, but it's just a calmer presence around this team. I feel like they're reacting better. They feel like they're going to get the save from Talbot when he's in there. They're not so worried about you know the defensive zone game with uh, 39 in the net. And I just thought Riddick was you know average at best last night. I'm not going to say all of it was on him, and it's not a comparison really towards what he's doing compared to what Laner's doing. Look, he gave up you know three, he gave up four goals in the game. The last one. Sure, you don't want to blame it on him, but four goals is usually means your team's lost. If you give up four, you, you've usually lost. Cam's given up four in the last three games. For me, it's as simple as that. And it was interesting because I listened in to the post-game show with Pat and Peter and Derek Wills, and uh, it was a, a conversation about whether or not the Flames were developing David Riddick to play in these games so that he could be the number one because he's 27 and he's definitely the goalie of the future for the Flames. It's not something I disagree with. I think that David Riddick is, in all senses, this team's number one going forward. 
whether or not this is the proper time to develop these games for Riddick is a different conversation. Because I don't think that March and April are times for you to develop your goaltender to learn how to win. Not when you're in this position the Flames were in. When you were first in the Western Conference last year, when you came into this year, expectations were at least a playoff berth, if not more from some people after how they felt to Colorado. I think you, you need wins right now. Right now, Cam Talbot gives you a better chance to win on a nightly basis than David Riddick does. Whether that hurts Riddick's development as a number one doesn't really matter right now because you're not in a position to be developing guys at this level. You have to win. The postseason is what matters right now. Getting points towards the playoffs is what matters right now. And if Cam Talbot gives you that option, you know you have to forego the future of David Riddick one way or the other if you want to have an impact right now. If it's a win-now mentality for the team, I think Cam Talbot's your obvious starter against the New York Islanders. I can't say for sure whether that's going to happen or not because stranger things have happened with this coaching staff. I didn't think that David Riddick should have got the start last night, but Riley, again, you made the point earlier. He was off, you know, there's a three-day stretch here between games. Then you're talking almost a, a week and a half to two weeks that David Riddick hasn't played uh, a game, and that's, that's tough when you're splitting a platoon that you know, the Flames have done all year. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll get Ryan Pike's take on this coming up in just a little bit. I'm not sure that uh, the Flames know exactly what they want to do in net because I think the development thing makes sense to me. You want David to be your number one goalie for the next few years, and you know, hopefully next March and next April he's the guy unquestionable or unquestioned. But right now he's just not. So it's a problem the Flames have going forward. Uh, the good news is that they've been scoring goals. They've been better at home. You've already got two wins on this homestand. Uh, regulation loss to Vegas last night isn't the end of the world. we got two tough opponents to coming up uh, in the New York Islanders and the Winnipeg Jets. We'll get into all of that and more as the afternoon rolls on. But we got to take a break around the corner. We'll welcome in Ryan Pike from Flames Nation. He was here at the Dome last night. He saw the Knights and the Flames. We'll get his opinion on that and uh, perhaps a look into what downtown Calgary could look like a little bit more down the road when the arena comes. It sounds as though... Uh, we've got some news on that front, perhaps a C-train line going through uh, where the new dome will be. We'll get his thoughts on that and more as Pinder and Steinberg continues on a Monday afternoon from the Saddle Dome, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Well, we continue our trend of Monday regulars, even though Pat is usually in this chair at 1.30. I've decided to steal his guests for my own uses, and that is, of course, the one and only Ryan Pike from Flames Nation. He joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Mr. Pike, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Um, obvious place to start is the Flames. Uh just general thoughts of the 5-3 loss the Flames suffered against uh, Vegas last night at the Dome. I mean, it was uh, the Flames at their most flamesy, I think. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they the other team gets a lead. The the Flames, I think, uh, they weren't particularly happy with how their forecheck was for the bulk of uh, the first 
I'd say first half of the game, uh, and they were playing against a team that's similar to Boston, similar to Tampa, similar to a few teams they've played. You know, once they get a lead, can really clog up the middle of the ice and force you to, you know, take uh, shots from the outside. But you got to give them some credit. I think they did a good job making adjustments. Milan Lucic was. Uh, at his Milan Lucicist, I guess you could say, uh, crashing and banging around. I think that sort of helped the Flames open up the game a bit as uh, as the second and third periods were on. So it's a bit of a heartbreaker that uh, a weird deflection ends up costing them at least one point. But, you know, if they play the way they did for the second half of that game against most teams, they're going to have a fighting chance in this thing. Let's uh, dive into Lucic a little bit more. I'll admit I was skeptical about the impact that Lucic could bring outside of something, you know, the, uh, a famous NHL executive would call truculence or outside of what he can do with his gloves off against another man. But I was proven pretty wrong a, a lot of times this year and including last night that it still looks like number 17 can have an impact on the ice. And look, that third line's been pretty consistently good for Calgary. And uh, I think obviously if he was at a lower salary, there wouldn't be the issues that you know fans like to bring up with him. But last night proved he, he can still be an impact maker in this league because he was dragging the team for, for most of last night. Yeah, and I think you know if he's always going to be compared to James Neal because of the cap hit and because of the trades. And I think you know Neal needs a specific set of circumstances in which to be successful. And you can make a similar case for for Lucic. I mean, Lucic probably isn't a guy that you want to be able to build your your offense around because you know he would probably admit he might he's not exactly the same guy he was five or ten years ago, but. You know, in games like we saw last night, he can be pretty effective. You know, when he's physically engaged, he, you know, Matthew Kachuk's like this to a similar degree, so is Sam Bennett. But I think from a pure physicality aspect, Lucic is the kind of guy that can sort of, you know, drag teammates and opposition into the muck and sort of make a game a trench war. And when he does that, it opens up a lot of space for his teammates. I mean, you know, Dylan Dubé at least has, he has a separation speed where he can do a little of both, but I think Dubé and Lucic were both difference makers last night in a way that is probably pretty encouraging for the flames going down the stretch because, you know, traditionally, you know, the last few weeks we've seen the first line, you know, with Monaghan really start getting going and the back line has been really good since like the beginning of February, but mm. the rest of the team, you know, they haven't really been firing on all cylinders yet. So if they can get Dubé and Lucic and Derek Ryan going and maybe get a little bit more out of uh, the fourth line, suddenly they're a much more deep team and a much more difficult team to match up against in these kind of close games. I'm curious what you think last night uh, about the usage of, of Mark Jankowski and Zach Ronaldo. The only changes the Flames made to their lineup period was a Ronaldo for Reader swap and then, of course, the goaltenders, which we'll get into uh, in a couple moments. But Jankowski finishes the night just under six minutes at 5.56 and Ronaldo at 4.45. Uh, I believe we saw Jeff Ward even double-shifting some of his forwards uh, onto that line. You saw Lindholm and Kachuk get different uh, periods of time on there. They would put either Ronaldo or sometimes Sam Bennett off of that line and, and roll with the forward from the first two lines. We always talk about depth on this team being such a strength, but you know, it, do you think it's a, a a factor of playing Vegas last night and such a deep team there, or is it just two guys that are are kind of struggling and the coach showed it to you know his displeasure based on ice time? I think it's a little of both. I mean, I think it's safe to say that neither Ronaldo or Jankowski really were rolling last night. Uh, you know, Sam Bennett, I think, I don't think it's controversial to say Sam Bennett is the best of the three guys who are currently in, or the best of the four guys, rather, who are in that fourth line rotation. And, you know, on a, on a team that didn't have, say, Dubé around to Pani playing as well as they are, 
and it would probably be a second or third liner. Uh, but I think it's just a case of, you know, you, if you're on the fourth line, you got to make an impact uh, with the ice time you have. And, you know, I think, you know, the challenge is in a game where I imagine the rationale behind putting Zach Ronaldo in was that you wanted him to sort of bring some energy and bring some physicality. He was largely invisible for much of the game. I mean, mm-hmm. if you didn't have a scorecard and if someone didn't tell you he was playing, you wouldn't have noticed him. So it's one of those things where I think he didn't make the most of an opportunity he was given. And I think down the stretch, they're probably going to err on the side of Toby Reader more often than not, simply because he consistently brings that kind of speed and energy. He might not be able to play against all the big body teams often, but you know I think what Toby Reader brings is more consistent with what Zach Ronaldo brings. Yeah, and I look, I would say no one's going to uh, ever confuse Tobias Reader with a goal scorer. But he certainly impacts the game in, in different ways. He uses his speed to his advantage, and he's certainly, for me, been a noticeable part of of the penalty kill. And I mentioned there, Rod, the only other uh, swap in the lineup was the goaltending one. And, of course, it's been a big topic all year long here. Um, the sentiment from me, really, I didn't think Riddick lost them the game, but I certainly didn't think he did enough to help them win it when your goaltender gives up four goals I would say on most nights you're going to lose in the NHL and I'm starting to notice a pattern myself where I feel like the team is almost a little bit more comfortable when Cam Talbot's in the net than when uh, David Riddick is and that's just a trend I've seen lately uh what are your thoughts on it what did you think of Riddick last night and uh the decision to go to him after Cam Talbot's uh won three in a row I mean you know Riddick was pretty good last night he wasn't great uh he wasn't you know, for better or for worse, he wasn't a difference maker. And I think that's the difference between the two Flames goaltenders right now where, you know, Cam Talbot either holds you in games early or, you know, keeps you in games or steals games. I mean, you know, the last stretch of games, especially on the on the road, you know, he was he was excellent in Florida. He was really good the last two or three games he played during the home stretch. And it's you know, I, I get the rationale behind, you know, you, you wanna you wanna have both your goaltenders going because you're probably going to need both guys down the stretch, especially, you know, if the flames get in the playoffs, there's, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that happen and you want to be able to keep your options open. So you don't want to have to be relying on one goaltender who you have a lot of confidence in and one that you have no confidence in. So putting Riddick in, in, in a key game is a nice way of trying to boost his confidence and sort of showing to the team and showing to himself possibly, Hey, you're still our guy. And I don't think, you know, if, if you want to look at the game from a, a glass half empty standpoint, I don't think, you know, if you have confidence in Riddick, a game like he played really deflates your confidence in him. He's still a goaltender who can, you know, hold you in games. He's still a talented guy. And, you know, he's still so new to the North American game and to, you know, NHL hockey that you can convince yourself there's still some upside there. On the other hand, you know, he's he hasn't really, you know, I think he's plateaued a bit at least this year, similar to how he was last year, where, you know, last year he had that knee injury on New Year's Eve that he tried to rehab and tried to play through, and it obviously impacted his performance. And now I don't think he's struggling to the same extent, but I think maybe the, the mental side of the game, the, the consistency side of the game is getting to him, given he's played so much hockey. So um, if it were me, I would probably would have come with Camp Talbot. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a traditionalist in terms of the play-until-you-lose mindset. Uh, but I can kind of wrap my head around why they wanted to go back with Riddick. Is this the time for this team to to go through a 1A, 1B sort of scenario where they're trying to figure out what Riddick is at at this level? So because, uh, look, he doesn't have that big of a body of work in the NHL, even going back to when he you know first broke onto the scene. It's only been a few years, really. Uh, for me, I look at it, Ryan, and I, I see this as a team that's looking to win now, that 
you know, playoffs were almost a must for this team, and now you're, you know, talking about going back and forth with your goaltenders on almost a, a nightly basis. Only one guy is going to start come April if you're going to the playoffs, and I, I just find that points are so valuable right now that you you can't be overthinking this and simplifying it down to, you know, like you said, a win and you're in might just be the best way for this team moving forward. Yeah, and and especially with, you know, this is – if the Flames don't have a lot of success down the stretch, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility of seeing some changes made to the team's core because the the same group of players has been together since what, 2013, 2014, you know, it's, they've had, they've had a cohort together, the core guys for a while. So I think at this point, you know, from a coaching standpoint and a management standpoint, it's basically burn the boats, figure out what you need to do to get there and then try to maximize what you can, because this might be the last dance for a lot of this group. So you might as well, you know, lean on one or two guys in that. I, if it were me, I'd lean on Talbot until he proves otherwise. And then, you know, you, you give Riddick a chance to sort of figure out his game because, you know, they've, he's had stretches early in the season where he kind of fought it and they gave him extra practice time and he worked through it. And then he, he went on a really nice run, uh, you know, a couple months ago. So I can kind of see the rationale on either side. But, you know, at the end of the day, the main metric that, that you know, really matters right now is wins and points. And, you know, the Flames are in a position where – they're masters of their own destiny. They don't really need to rely on anyone's help to get into the playoffs or to cement a position. So while they have this wiggle room, they might as well try to cement themselves early. And then that way, if they need to work in Riddick a little bit more down the last two weeks of the season, they can give him a chance to sort of work through wherever he needs to work through. We're chatting with Ryan Pike, our uh, Monday regular here on Pinder and Steinberg. You can catch his uh, stuff on Flames Nation or on the Sporting News. Uh, Ryan, a couple more for you here. Uh, I got to ask about the the decor because we only see Noah Hannafin play two minutes uh, total last night before he kind of gets in an awkward collision along the boards uh, with Milan Lucic laying a hit on Brandon Peary. It kind of looked to me like he might have – you had a really good gif of it uh, on Twitter. It kind of looked to me like he takes a bit of a shot to the head. He might hit his head on the dasher a bit as he's going down. He doesn't return. Uh, good news for the Flames if there is in this situation a time to have three days off. It's right now. Uh, not sure the Flames were off today, so we'll have to wait till tomorrow to see really or get an update on Hannafin. What what does the decor look like for you if Hannafin potentially can't come out? And then we're starting to talk about the return of Travis Hamnick coming. You know, in the near-ish future, we're starting to think as he returns to practice. Uh, we'll start with Hannafin. Where do you see that if he has to miss any time? If there's no, uh, I would imagine if there's no Hannafin, if it were me, I'd probably go back to Oliver Shillington. You know, if Hamannick can't come back in and it's not, and they need to fill a gap for a, for a short period of time, you know, I think Shillington's been a really effective number five, six defenseman for the Flames this season. He's you know moved the puck really well, and you know the I think for him, you know, he's probably chomping the bit to get in, and he's had a bit of time you know, since the road trip, since the trade deadline, to sort of sit on the sidelines, sort of watch, you know, the the team, see how they're doing, see where you can fit into their systems. And, you know, if anything, you know, having a, a couple of weeks off could be a nice refresher for him to sort of, you know, work on some of his, uh, his fundamentals because, you know, Shillington's been a great puck-moving defender. His defensive zone play sometimes is a little bit dodgy, as it is with a lot of young defenders. So, you know, working him in potentially, you know, on a pairing, you could put him with Rasmus Anderson. I think that could be an effective pairing because they play together a ton. It would, you know, slot right in. You wouldn't have to muck around with all the pairings. And then, you know, when, when Hamlet comes back, I think uh, potentially the team could have three really nice pairings and, you know, then they'll have some options for what they want to do with them. 
does Shillington go down to you if Hannafin's healthy and Hamannick's healthy? Because I, I can't imagine they're going to want to sit three defensemen all the time here. I think it's probably a conversation that they're having. Um, it's basically the last chance to send Shillington down because he's waiver exempt or waiver eligible starting next season. So mm-hmm. it'd be a, basically a last chance to sort of see him at the AHL level. But I think for him, it's just a question of, you know, how much does he want to get playing time? Because if he's here, he's making NHL money, but he's not really doing much of anything. He'll be one of three guys in the sidelines. Whereas if they can work him into Stockton, you know, they just lost Brandon Davidson when they, you know, they kept him up and they traded him to San Jose. So there's a, a left side spot there. And right now the Heat are using, you know, four guys who are on AHL only contracts and, you know, Shillington, they could really use him and he get a chance to touch every piece of the game. Whereas even if he gets in the NHL minutes here, you know, even if it gets into a game or two, you're looking at, you know, third pairing, six guy minutes, maybe playing 10, 12, at most 15 minutes a game. Why not send him down and give him a chance to play like, you know, 25 to 30 minutes a game, right? Yeah. Uh, last one for you here, Ryan. I appreciate the time, as always, on the Monday. Uh, two games left on this homestand for the Flames. A bit of a tough time of the year to sit out for three straight, but uh, they welcome in the New York Islanders on Thursday and then a pretty big Hockey Night in Canada matchup on Saturday. Um, just your thoughts overall on the Islanders. They've struggled a bit of late, but they've been a pretty consistent team ever since Barry Trotz took over there. They'll be a tough go on Thursday for sure. And then, uh, look, you can call it a four-pointer if you'd like to come Saturday against the Jets. That'll be a big one on Hockey Night in Canada. The thing I like about these these last two games to close out the homestand is they're completely different styles of games. I mean, you know, uh, the uh, the Islanders play very similarly to how the Arizona Coyotes do in the sense that they play so structured and they just try to suffocate uh, you know, speed through the neutral zone and just slow the game down. And they're when they're on their game, they're really, really good at it. Like that's what they that's what they got into the the playoffs last year. They're just, you know, at their best, they're a completely suffocating team in the best sense of the word. Whereas the Jets, because of the injuries, because of the the turnover and some personnel, they're a little bit more open ended and run and gun. So I think, you know, the Flames have been pretty adept at staying in these kind of tight checking games so potentially they have another one of those against the Islanders and then potentially more of a return to the 1980s or night or, or the early 90s and sort of a, a more open game against the Jets so I think uh, if the Flames do well in those two games it'll be a showcase for their versatility and if they don't uh, it'll be a chance for them to potentially do a few tweaks before they hit the very last stretch drive. I, I lied to you Ryan uh, I do have one more for you before I let you go uh, it seems like uh, as the weeks go by, we get more and more information about uh, a new arena and stuff going downtown. And it seems like today we might get a more of an indication of perhaps what transit might look like downtown towards a new stadium. Can you give us uh, the latest on that and what you've uh, kind of heard around today? Uh, I think the, the as of last I heard, the plan was uh, the new train line. I think there's going to be a station on uh, 4th Avenue. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, uh, for those of you who've been uh, around Stampede Park, basically Olympic Way up towards the the underpass down to the, the National Music Center, that sort of area is where the train would be, and I believe it'd be an underground station, and then folks would go up to street level and walk over a couple blocks. So, uh, ideally, I think the the city wants it to sort of be you know walkable and sort of get some foot traffic in there and. I think that's their goal. We'll, we'll see if they can achieve it. And I think once we get uh, a bit more detail about the hows and whys and whens, I think it'll allow them to plan a little bit more you know, effectively because so far it's very conceptual. Yeah, still lots to go. We know that there's uh, 
they haven't even broken ground and stuff, but it's always cool with those exciting times to uh, look ahead. Ryan, thanks as always for the time on a Monday, man. Uh, we'll see you down here at the Dome tomorrow for Flames practice, I assume? Take it easy, man. Sounds good. Thanks, Ryan. There's Ryan Pike from Flames Nation, our uh, Monday regular, uh, usually with Pat, but joining myself, Logan Gordon, today, who's filling in. Uh, on the Pinder and Steinberg show. Around the corner, we still have three burning questions to get to with our producer, Riley Pollock. But before that, I want to remind you about Lou's Mailbag. You can ask Lou a burning flames question at sportsnet.ca slash 960 and tune in Fridays at noon to hear if Peter Labardius will answer your question. You can win a pair of lower ball tickets to an upcoming Flames game and a $100 gift card to Ruth Chris. Lou's Mailbag is brought to you by Ruth Chris Steakhouse Primetime Menu featuring two courses for $44 available daily before 6.30 and anytime on Sundays. Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Coming up around the corner, producer Riley joins us for three burning questions here on Pinder and Steinberg. Time to turn up the heat. These are three burning questions on the Steinberg Show. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. As always, welcome in producer Riley for three burning questions on a Monday. Hi, Riles. You got three burning ready for me, pal? Oh, I do, Logo. Uh, we're going to start with the Flames, which sure. should come to a shock as yeah, to no one. Yeah, I'm surprised um, start there. If the Flames kind of stick where they are in the Pacific right now, they will most likely play the Golden Knights or Edmonton. Is there a team you would rather see the Flames play in the first round out of those two? Hmm. It's interesting. I think you're right. It looks like the Flames more and more uh, are probably going to find themselves in, you know, potentially a 1-2-3 spot in the Pacific as Arizona continues to fall off. Uh, Vancouver takes a hard loss last night. Um and then, of course, the big one tonight is is Vegas and Edmonton. So it'll be interesting to see. I'll be closely watching that one. I, I think from a selfish perspective and uh, just from an entertainment standpoint, I think Flames-Oilers, uh, well, we've never seen it. You and me have never seen have, have never seen anything like that, Riley. Our age group has never uh, been privy to, you know, we've heard all the stories, especially working in Calgary Radio, you've heard all the stories about the great battles of Alberta and the back and forth and, you know, the great generational talent that both teams have had, but we've never seen these two teams meet up in, in a postseason. They've either, one team's been down the year that the other team went to the playoffs, and even if they were both there, you know, the playoff format wasn't going to work out. So I think from a purely entertainment and from a selfish aspect, I would I think Flames-Oilers would be so much fun. Uh, I also think they're probably the better matchup for the Flames. They're kind of similar teams that would, you know, like to score a lot of goals and, uh, play a little bit more wide-open game. So I, I'd rather see the Oilers. I'd love to see a playoff uh, Battle of Alberta. Yeah, I think entertainment-wise, it should. I would like the Oilers as well. The Red Mile would be insane for that series. Unbelievable. And I just like watching good hockey, and I think those two teams would put on a show. And based purely from a standpoint that I think Vegas is a better team than the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're so deep. They have two Unreal goaltenders now. I I think the Golden Knights are the favorite to walk out of this bracket for this side of the uh, Western Conference. So I don't want to play them first, that's for sure. And no, I, no I'm, I'm with you. I was impressed with them last night, even without somebody like Mark Stone. Uh, and you add that guy back into the lineup. And look, they've been dangerous ever since they came into the league. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I think Vegas is probably logged into that number one seed, and it's probably worthwhile. Uh, what you got next? Um, 
There's an interesting conversation for the Vesna this season in the NHL. I think it's tightened up quite a bit recently. Um, I think Andre Vasilevsky, Tuka Rask, and Connor Hellebuck should be the finalists at this point. So if the Jets make the playoffs, do you feel that Hellebuck has the inside track for the Vesna? Hmm. It is an interesting one. If the Jets make the playoffs, does Hellebuck have the inside road to it? I'm going to say yes to that one. Um, I would have uh, – look, my money for a long time has been on, on Jacob Markstrom, but uh, look, I I don't know the reality of him coming back. Yeah, I think he's been Vancouver's MVP, and you've seen it with them struggling without him, but the, almost the opposite you know, can be said for Winnipeg. They've thrived with Hellebuck uh, despite all the losses that they went through on defense last year and – uh, you know, Bufflin not showing up this year, the back and forth with him. Uh, I know that they added Dylan DeMello at the, you know, before trade deadline, but that's not a huge addition to your back end by any means. And Hellebuck uh, has faced the most shots in the league. He's got the most shutouts in the league. Um, and I always think that there's a bit of a, a, a taint against this guy like Vasilevsky who has such a good team around him all the time. While his numbers are good, would they be that good on an, a Winnipeg, you know, for example? So I'm going to agree with you and say that if the Jets make the playoffs, that Hellebuck uh, should be the front runner for the Vesna. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to Markstrom. If he was still healthy, he would be in that top three for me somewhere. And I don't know which one of those three other goalies that I would take out. Tuka Rask has had a great season. Andre Vasilevsky has been unreal this season. Mm-hmm. But Connor Hellebuck has definitely been the Jets' best player this season. On oh, a de- absolutely. On a decor yeah. that I thought had maybe two NHLers on it at the start of the season. So, yeah. Yeah, he's he certainly impressed me and kept them uh, in a playoff race that maybe the they shouldn't be in if he wasn't uh, as good as he's been. But, yeah. uh, what's last for us? Um, well, I know that you're a Chargers fan, Lobo. I am. So uh, there's been a lot of QB talk, QB carousel talk going around. There could be a lot of big-name quarterbacks in different places when week one comes around in the NFL season. Mm-hmm. So who do you think is going to be the Chargers' starting quarterback in week one of this season? Oh, I hate the question. It's weird. Because as a Chargers fan, part of me uh, was very happy that, that they decided to move on from Phillip Rivers. It's been almost two decades with with him there. And, you know, look, it just came to the point where you just weren't going to win with this guy anymore. The interceptions were a problem. It was time to move on. And now you're in an interesting spot where you're second fiddle in L.A. to the Rams. So you kind of want to make a splash there, you know, and that's where I think the Tom Brady conversation comes in. If he wants to be in California, uh, that that's an option for him there. I, I personally would not like to see Brady there. I don't want to get an older quarterback. And then, of course, the Chargers draft sixth, so there's an option for uh, picking up a young starting QB in that one. But honestly, from everything that I've seen as a guy that follows the team, it's unconventional. I think that they're going to wind up with Tyrod Taylor as their week one starter. Um, I'm not 100% convinced that it's the right move, but I don't know that this team is going to draft a quarterback high uh, to be in a spot to start somebody week one. Um, but I also don't think that they're going to spend their money on a guy like Tom Brady when it comes to free agency. So maybe they draft a tackle with the sixth overall pick, really solidify their O-line. They traded Russell Okung away. Uh, they seem to have confidence in Tyrod Taylor, who I think is an 
okay NFL quarterback. Maybe with the weapons around him, they can do something. Uh, as long as he doesn't throw as many interceptions and give me, you know, as many heart attacks as Phillip Rivers did, honestly, I'll, I'll be really happy. Okay, so final answer, Tyrod, hey? Yeah, I'm not happy about that answer, by the way, but yeah. that's the answer I'm giving you. All right, yeah, like, I just don't understand why they would get rid of Phillip to bring in Tom Brady kind of thing. I mean, I do get it from, like, a fact that he's from over there kind of thing, mm-hmm. and but he Tom Brady wasn't very good this season. <laughs> no, and he's, he's older than, than Phil, yeah. and you want to take the chance that he – you know, and look, the the Chargers offense still needs a, a decent passing quarterback when they've got Keenan Allen and they've got Hunter Henry. And I, I think the fit for Brady in a place like Tennessee where they're going to run heavy with Derrick Henry makes more sense. But, no, I think other than the fact that the Chargers are in California and Brady wants to be in California at some point was the only connection that made sense there. All right. Well, that's my three burning logo. Thanks, Riles. Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, as always, Riley will be behind the board this week, so we'll have uh, more three burning with him throughout the uh, Monday to Friday. Uh, this is Pinder and Steinberg. On a Monday, I'm Logan Gordon filling in for Ryan Pinder this week around the corner. Pat Steinberg set to join the show. I'm sure we'll get some Flames talk together around the corner. They fall 5-3 to the Vegas Golden Knights last night, but uh, a busy show. We'll check in with the co-host of Pinder and Steinberg, the real co-host. It's not me. Uh, we'll try to figure out where Pinder is, if he's having a much better time in Florida than he did on the client trip. Uh, also, Elliot Friedman and Kale McLean coming up later on in the show and our Daily Flames Roundtable at 4 o'clock. All that coming up next when Pat joins the show. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Top tip off our own, uh, off our own stick right underneath the bar. I mean... Shoot said a hundred times, I guarantee you it's not going in 99, 99 out of a hundred. So it's just a tough one after we're working yourselves back into the game after being down three nothing. It's a tough one to swallow last night, but I'm kind of of two minds on that game. So there's Milan Lucic following last night's five three loss to Vegas. Game winner, seventy seconds remaining after the Flames erased a 3-0 deficit from Matthew Kachuk's game-tying goal to Shea Theodore's game-winning goal a minute 50 past. So, you know, 110 seconds apart, you go from elation in this building to, holy crap, the game's over. Uh, I thought Vegas was significantly better all night long. So I thought that they were full marks for the two points. They deserved the two points. And if you were to just watch the whole game, and and take out the wild swings and the fact the Flames were able to erase a, a three-goal deficit, I thought Vegas was the significantly better team and that Calgary was second best for most of the night. In saying that, Flames fought their way back and somehow found a way. And we when we get into the deep dive in about 90 minutes' time, I'll, I'll give you some um, pretty good analytic evidence on top of that as to just how underwater the Flames were all night. But they still found a way. That looked like the find-a-way flame season. That looked mm-hmm. like 2014-15, how thoroughly they were outplayed last night. But they still fought their way back. And they still were in a spot where they could at the very least get one point, if not potentially two points out of a game where they probably weren't really in the game the way the score suggested. So 
I didn't like the way that they managed things after they came back to tie it. And, and you know, should that have been a 3-3 game? Maybe not, but it was a 3-3 game. And it was a 3-3 game with three minutes remaining. That's a lot of threes. And, yes. and what I don't like is the fact that Vegas was very easily to get right back to what they were doing all game long, and that is hemming the Flames in and getting them running around defensively, funneling pucks towards the net. And, yeah, the, the actual game-winning goal was a fluky one and it deflected off of Manjapani's stick and uh, Manjapani put it top top shelf and look there was nothing wrong that was not the wrong play by 88 that was the right play he's trying to get sticks in lanes oh, it's most a, it's of the time a, it's a fluke play exactly most of the time that gets deflected to the corner or up into the netting or whatever just happened to be on this night it got deflected top shelf but I, I just I didn't like the fact that as soon as they scored the goal the Flames were right back to being on their heels and right back to defending again so I'm kind of of two minds. The Flames didn't really deserve two points last night, but they were in a spot to at the very least get one point and get a game that they weren't really in to overtime and maybe steal one when it's all said and done. So I'm I'm kind of of two minds when it comes to last night. Yeah, and that's how I started off the one was I said I didn't really know how to feel about last night because you have to give them credit for battling back down exactly. 3 nothing against a very good Vegas team who, you know, yes, they didn't have Mark Stone, but – you know, they're starting two NHL number one netminers. Didn't matter who it was, if it was Flurry or Laner. Uh, so, the, you know, you knew you were going to get a good game from them. They lead the Pacific Division for a reason, and you were able to come back on them. But to, to wind up with nothing still kind of leaves you with that empty feeling because it was such a short period of time left. It's uh, the exact 17 minute mark that Kachuk's goal goes in. You have to find a way to lock it down for three minutes of time. And we talked about this against, you know, the Nashville game on the road trip is almost a similar situation where you think, man, you know, even for a 45-second, you know, span from when Manjapani scored in that game to when Granlin scores with .1 second, you've got to find a way to just lock it down a bit and stretch it out and get, you know, yes, they get the extra point in Nashville. Uh, and it's a bit of a consolation prize, but you don't get anything for this last night. And, yes, I understand they're not a team that, you know, is chasing them in the standings. It doesn't hurt them nearly as much. But you feel a lot better about last night if you at least get one against a very good team. And even well, if you, you know, you and didn't it deserve takes, it. You didn't deserve the point, but you, you take what you can get. You in were in league. a position to get it. Like, as much as they, on merit, probably shouldn't have been there, mm. um, and, and as much as... I thought Robin Lehner was very average last night yeah. and, and was really the main reason why the Flames were able to get back in that game. They still were. They still, like, give Vegas a ton of credit. They allowed five shots in the third period. And, you know, in the Flames, the you, the interesting thing for Vegas was I thought leading up to the Kachuk goal was when the Flames were playing their best because they were starting to get a bit of a push on. They were starting to get momentum into that. And then... As soon as the Flames scored, the building's back alive. Everything's going, you know, nuts, and the, f the fans are chanting again, and we're ready to get back into it. And Vegas just flipped the switch back over and said, no, we got three minutes left on this. We're not going to go And I give them a lot here. of credit because they knew It's not easy to do that. They, they knew that they had been the better team mm -hmm. all night, and they said, well, let's just keep on being the better yep. team. And, and, yeah, the goal that ends up being the game winner was a fluky one, but it was still – Vegas was able to get right back to being well, on were attack, right back to having everything, exactly. getting in there again, and it was leading towards that sort of outcome, regardless of how it went in the net. Here's Marty Jelena on our post game show, the basement, uh, the Better Business Bureau, Hot Stove Lounge last night, and and I asked him that question, what he saw immediately after the Flames tied it in the third period. 
One thing we talk about uh, when we we tie the, the game, there's two minutes left, is we got to play smart. So playing smart is, is making sure that if there's no play, that puck gets behind, get a forecheck, you're above, you don't give them anything uh, uh, easy. Uh, they're going to have to earn it. And, and I thought we did we did that. you got to give them credit. they got some players that can be a difference maker on their side too. And then, uh, you know, it was a tough break with that. Uh, I think it hit uh, Manji's uh, stick and, and got tipping the... Uh, in the top net, so it's a tough one. But w you know, we talk in the last two minutes when you tie the game. That one point is crucial. So we just gotta, we just gotta take that to overtime and and hopefully get the next one. We didn't do that tonight, uh, but it was talk on the bench for sure. It's funny. I was talking to a couple of people today, um, and the feel from within the flames is on eye test last night and in the emotion and the heat of the battle, they thought there were a lot of positives last night. Hmm. Talked to a couple of people involved with the team today. They're like, yeah, it was nowhere near as positive as we thought it was. No. Like, uh, in, in a second watching of that game, the feel from a few people that I've talked to is, yeah, Vegas was way better than we gave them credit for. Like, you take a look at the final possession numbers, uh, the, and, and we'll get into it a little bit more after 3 o'clock in the deep dive. But the final possession numbers, Calgary was just over 33%. Final shot attempts were 68-34 at 5 on 5 yeah. in favor of the Vegas Golden Knights. So it was it was a very one-sided hockey game last night and I thought Robin Lehner that's the most average I've seen him in a long time. Mm. Um, and you know the Dylan Dubé goal that's a that's a power play goal from in close, maybe not that one, but you know the Lucic goal that was the not The Lucic first one wasn't uh, a heater between the the pads. It and was... that that got the building a little bit more into it and I guess there's really nobody that passed from Manjapani to Kachuk. Like I'll, I'll give the Flames credit for this. Like especially in that moment in a game where the Golden Knights had done a masterful job of shutting things down in the third period and making it so there was really nothing there for Calgary. The one time they got something, they did a nice job executing. Like mm -hmm. That was that was a really nice play from Manjapani and a really nice finish and, and from And what Kachuk. other line would you expect it from? Very that true. That line. The Very true. The new 3M line, if you want to call it. I love calling that because it, it fits so well with Manjapani, but... Uh, that's the line that was going to do it for you because they've done it for how long now? That's the line that just drives it. And I thought for sure if there was going to be a game-tying goal last night and they were going to come on that comeback, it was either going to come from a Milan-Lucic play last night or it was going to come from the line that's just consistently done it better than any line for Calgary this year. Uh, welcome to the program. Um, let's get to the text line at 960 I went to the game last night, thought it was going to have a playoff feel. They were not engaged. 17 was. Don't know. It'll be interesting. That comes from Dave. Uh, this says, Pat, 100% agree. I think sometimes people look at the score and not the game as a whole. Vegas dominates the game from the outset. To me, their reputation preceded them, and they turned over pucks as if they knew they were going to be hit. Uh, this reads, they were outplayed and honestly would have been lucky to get a point out of it. It was a bad break to lose the game, but the better team got two points for sure. Uh, this... It was easy to break out against the Flames because other than Lucic, uh, other than the Lucic line, there was no pressure on the forecheck, and they could attack with speed and cause the defense to be backing up. And finally, Pat, what about that non-goal call? I had no problem with it. I thought it was fairly blatant goaltender interference. Yeah. And you know, you know how I feel about about backs and how well he's playing right now, but pretty noticeably pushed Robin Lehner. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah, it's probably... yeah, I heard the argument that Lehner came out uh, and initiated the contact. He's got to go out to play the puck in that situation, and, and he can't – he's just in no position to react to 
the next you know the next movement by Backlund when he's just in close with him like that. So I didn't have any problem with it either. I think the only thing was the interest of goaltender challenges that sometimes you just never know how they're going to go. Very true. Called it a goal on the ice. So I thought if anything, maybe the Flames had the advantage there, but because it's just there's so much gray area when it comes to that. I always find that I don't know what, which way it's going to go come review time. Got a few texts on the text line at nine six zero nine six zero talking about the goaltending decision. Here's here's where I am. I would have 100% started Cam Talbot last night. I was a little caught off guard when we found out that Riddick led the team out for warm-up at about 4.30 p.m. yesterday afternoon. I was like, whoa, they're going to go with Riddick mm-hmm. in this game. Now, here is why, and and from my understanding, and, and it was an off day today, so no no media today, but from everything I've been able to garner, the big reason why Riddick went last night was because they want to keep sure, make sure both guys stay fresh. And there is a big gap after this game. They don't play again until Thursday, so Sunday to Thursday, that's a pretty significant gap in the schedule. And because Talbot had started three prior, it would have been about 12 days between starts, and they don't want either of their goalies going that long between starts. So that was the main reason why Riddick went last night is, is from how I understand it. However... If that's the case, I would have gone with Riddick against Arizona mm-hmm. and Talbot against Vegas. That's that's the way I would have gone gone about it. It just, I don't think in, in saying all that, I would have absolutely gone Talbot last night, and and I would be looking at Talbot as the guy that has to play himself out of starts right now. I don't know if that's the way the coaching staff is looking at it right now, but that's the way I'd be looking at it because I think Talbot has been the significantly better goalie for about three months now, and right now I believe he gives the team a better chance to win. I still think you need to play both guys. What, they're, they've got 12 games to go? Yeah. Like, if they were to go 7-5 or 8-4 in favor of Talbot, that's fine with me. Jeez, um, even if they were to go 6-6, I think that that's probably fair. They just need to give Talbot some of these important games and, and let him play himself out of this conversation. But I didn't feel like Riddick was the reason why they lost that hockey game either. Again, Vegas was so much better than Calgary all night. Vegas, Vegas, I, I feel, was winning that game regardless. In fact, you know, I, I think I didn't love the first goal, the, the big rebound on the Ryan Reeves shot that, yeah. that led to the no-check goal. I didn't love that one, and I thought he looked shaky in the first period. But I actually felt like Riddick settled in as the game went along and had to make some big stops at 2 and 3 nothing, and especially at 3-1 and 3-2 to keep the Flames in striking distance. So for me, I know it's really easy to jump to, well, they started Riddick, that's an awful decision, that's why they lost. I don't see it that way. I would have started Talbot, and I would give Talbot some, some nice runway here, but I, I don't think the, the goaltending was the reason why Calgary lost that game last night. No, it, look, it, you made a good point that I don't think some of those chances, if you put Cam Talbot in, you know, the same spot that, that David Riddick was in, uh, some of those chances are going in either way. It doesn't matter who the goaltender is. Sometimes it, it's out of the goaltender's control as to what's actually going to happen. And yes, it looks bad when you when you put four by him. And you know, look, most nights in this league, if you give up four goals as the goaltender, your team's going to lose. The biggest thing for me right now that I would say about the goaltending, and I mentioned this in the one, is I like how the team plays in front of Cam Talbot more than I like how they play in front of David Riddick right now. It's just a, it seems to be a calming presence for them in the D zone, especially. I find they're not running around as much. And look, 
you if you want to argue with me that the last week they haven't played the most offensively skilled teams, and that's probably a factor in that, that Arizona, Columbus, and even Florida to a degree aren't necessarily teams that are going to cause you to run around in your own zone because of their talent. I, I can buy that a little bit, but I just find that the way that they're playing in, in front of Cam is just there's is it some sort of presence from him. He's exuding some confidence towards the group that, you know, look, boys, I got the next one. You guys go out. Do your thing. I got the next one. We're we're gonna shut it down from here and and move on. And I'm at the point with with David Riddick, especially at home where the struggles have been so much more apparent than on the road, that I'm not against uh, you know splitting the starts here down the road. But I would be more conservative if I was the coaching staff in maybe cherry picking my next start for Talbot a little bit more. If it's you know for Talbot or for Riddick? or excuse me for Riddick, you're right. Yeah, um, you know what I mean. Like I'm talking. You know, maybe his next home start is, you know, you got San Jose and Anaheim coming at home in a couple weeks. If that's his next home start, I'm okay with that. On the road, it's a little more difficult because you have a back-to-back, and and then you're talking, you know, a spot against New Jersey might be a spot where I'd like to see him. You know, cherry pick maybe a less explosive offensive team. Help him get his confidence back up and try to roll that back at home because, to me, Talbot's been rolling for a long time now. And wins are what matter right now. And mm-hmm. you got to go with the guy that gives you the better chance to win right now. And I'm with it, you. It's simply Talbot. I, I think that Talbot should be – and right now I think that you, if, if they want to be in a situation where they kind of go about it like, hey, if you, if you perform well, you stay in. If you don't, we go the other way. Mm-hmm. I can get behind that. Um, because if that were to be the case, then then we would have seen a lot a lot of Talbot of late because he's he's been the better guy. Like the the spread between them going back to the beginning of December is fairly significant. Like we're talking about twenty eight twenty nine percentage points um, on the save percentage. Uh, David Riddick somewhere in the eight ninety eight range since December first, and Talbot's in nine twenty seven. I believe that's mm-hmm. a that's a pretty significant gap between the two. But again. I understood the reasoning behind going to Riddick last night. I still would have gone to Talbot, and I would ride Talbot uh, the rest of the way. And the only thing that I'd push back on about the way the team plays in front of the goalies, I mean, sure. two, of their, two of their better games on that road trip were played in front of Riddick. Like, the Boston game and the Nashville game were both played in front of Riddick. The Florida game was in front of Talbot, and they were very good in that game too. But, I mean, the Boston game is the one that everybody points to and says that might be their best game of the year, and that was David Riddick between the pipes that night. The only thing I, w- I would say is maybe my point echoes more at home. And that that and that's very fair. Where and, and Riddick, things, for whatever reason, yeah. his numbers have always been and and significantly they, yeah. different here yeah. than, than they have been. And they've been. played here differently completely than – None of the games that they've played in the last three of this homestand have looked anything near what that Boston game was like. So, you know, I would say maybe at home this echoes a little bit more true because whether it's the team in front of him that, that needs the, the extra boost from outside or it's just the goaltender that's, you know, seemed to struggle at home a little bit more than the other guy, either way it's, you know, it's minuscule, but it's, it's something that I think is, is affecting them one way or the other. Uh, by the way, those uh, splits on the goaltender, um, since the beginning of December, Riddick started 25. He's 12-10-2 with an 8.98. Talbot started 16. He's 11-5-1 with a 9.27. So, you know, that's pretty a significant, significant gap, gap. Yeah. Uh, between the two guys. I still get the feeling, though, that somewhere internally that they feel more comfortable with Riddick than Talbot. I'm not 
I don't know why. I don't know what the reasoning is, and they're never going to come out and tell no. us. But I, I, it just you read the tea leaves and you observe the way that each guy is used, and there's always far more of an urgency to go back to Riddick, and they're far quicker to go away from Talbot. Like the, Riddick has gotten more runway to work his way out of things. Riddick has gotten the ability to go back in quicker, whereas when Talbot struggles, it's very, it's a very quick yank, and it's a very quick, okay, we're going to go in a different direction, and he hasn't, he still hasn't started more than three games in a row all season long. So I, I feel like I've never, I have not had this confirmed by anybody. Nobody has told me this on or off the record, but I just... Reading between the lines, I just wonder if somewhere there is a feel that Riddick is the guy and they want him to be the number one. They mm-hmm. want they want him to be the guy come playoff time. We'll see how that plays it, it out It echoes here. similarly, and I know you guys had this conversation on the postgame show last night. It echoes very similarly to the Mike, situ- Mike Smith situation from last just year. Just reverse roles, yes. right? Yes, Rid- Riddick was the guy Riddick. that... Wasn't getting that runway last year. This year he is. Mike Smith, last year there were games where you thought he'd let in four or five, and you're like, man, who? why isn't this guy getting pulled? And I remember, I can't remember the game uh, off by hand, but I remember specifically it might have been a two- or three-goal night for Riddick, and Peters pulled him. And I remember Twitter was like, how in the world can you let Smith let in five one night, and then Riddick lets in two or three off the start. I think it was two, to be honest. And he got the he got pulled off of there. Uh, it quickly, so it, it does feel kind of opposite like that. It feels like I don't, I don't want to say it's force feeding the guy that they want to, but they certainly uh, it feels as though they have a preference and they're willing to stick their neck out a bit for the guy that they they want in that spot. Yep. Um, and finally, Noah Hannafin left the game early last night. Weird situation, upper body injury. We, we believe the play that, that this happened on. Milan Lucic, in one of his seven hits that he threw last night, hits Brandon Peary, but it happened at the same time. So Lucic was going for the hit the same time that Hannafin was pinching to keep a puck in. Mm-hmm. So it was just bad timing, but Lucic nails Peary, and the chain reaction ends up the, the, the final recipient of the blow is Hannafin, and his head kind of goes way back, and you think it maybe hits off the dasher board or something like that. He left, didn't return. Now, everything that uh, that I was led to believe last night, everything that I was able to find out, doesn't sound like it's overly major, but still not sure what the circumstances, and, and they didn't practice today, so we won't be able to find out um, his status until tomorrow when we see whether or not he's on the ice. But here's Jeff Ward, the head coach, last night on losing Noah Hannafin. You know, we went and got a couple of defensemen at the at the deadline. I mean, the game is hard at this time of year, and injuries are going to happen. And uh, the fact that we've got bodies now, we're able to plug a, a guy in that you know is a is a good NHL player, and so I, I don't think we'll miss a beat. But, I mean, we have to see what's uh, you know what's going on with Noah first, but we've got a lot of good options that we can use if, in fact, he's out for a while. They did go out and acquire Forbert and Gustafson at the deadline. They still have Stone and Shillington sitting as healthy scratches. And I don't know what Travis Hamannick's status is, but he's now gone through one full practice with the team. There are two full practices tomorrow and Wednesday, so I don't think it's crazy to suggest that Hamannick returns at some point on this homestand. Mm-hmm. If not, I would I would think that on this road trip coming up to the New York area, you might be able to see Hamannick back. So Hamannick's knocking on the door. Uh, again, it's all about him going through full contact and, and checking off some of the boxes that he needs to check off to be able to play, but it sure does sound 
like he's a whole lot closer. So I don't I don't really anticipate Hannafin out a long time, but we're not going to know for sure until tomorrow. No, and if we are right that it was something around contact with the head, we know things have changed in that you know way that medical staffs handle that nowadays, and uh, head injuries are that much more serious than than almost any other injury that's not life threatening. So it wouldn't have been a surprise to me if it was something you know concussion like that they were just going to keep it as a precaution because. They do have the next three days to get healthy and worry about the New York Islanders. It, it's a bit of a weird situation because at this time of year, I don't think that you almost want three days without a game because you know, the standings could flip so much, especially in the West, without you playing three straight days. But for the Flames, especially on the back end now, you could look come Thursday or Saturday at a completely different back end uh, with Hannafin in or out and potentially Hamnick back. And I, th- I do think Hamnick getting into a practice without the non-contact jersey is really a step in the right direction for him coming back soon. Uh, it is back for one more game this year. Our Sportsnet 960 junior reporter, we want your son or daughter to come help us on Flames Radio on April 4th. Final game of the year, Flames Oilers here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. So here's what your prize entails. If you go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 and enter right now, you're going to win a pair of lower bowl seats to the Battle of Alberta April 4th, a behind-the-scenes tour of the Dome, and you're going to come on with me on Flames Radio, and you're going to break down the game for me. We've had two already this year. You have got an opportunity to have your son or daughter as the third junior reporter this year. Once again, go to sportsnet.ca slash 960. It's all brought to you by South Trail Hyundai. Go to SouthTrailHyundai.com or visit Facebook and Instagram for the South Trail Hyundai experience. Pinder's off to Florida. He's going to be joining us from Jay's spring training all week long. We, uh, we're going to get at him, though, before he leaves for Florida when, he, when we come back. Uh, a long travel escapade back to Florida for Pinder. And he's going to join us, funny enough, on Pinder and Steinberg, which is underway on a Monday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the Afternoon. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the Better Business Bureau Hot Stone Lounge. It's Pat Steinberg and Logan Gordon. No Pinder this week. Uh, we now go live to the Calgary International Airport where Ryan Pinder is standing by right now. Hello, friend. What is um, What are you doing at the Calgary International Airport right now? Well, I just got through security. It was uh, an arduous three-minute wait. So mm. I feel like this is going to be a really good window in our lives to travel very quickly and very cheap. Uh, if there's got to be any silver lining. But, you know, you also have to run the risk of being quarantined when you come home. <laughs> that's a good yeah, point. That's a, uh, that's a very good point. Where are you, uh, where are you going, friend? We uh, are meeting up with a bunch of winners of our WestJet Blue Jays contest in Toronto, and we will all tomorrow morning get on a flight and go down to Tampa, Florida, and a short little shuttle ride from there is the home of the Toronto Blue Jays in the spring. Dunedin, Florida, Pat. Beautiful Florida. 27 degrees Celsius. Florida. Afternoon baseball. No losses matter. Oh, it's the best. Florida. Florida, yeah. That's uh, how, uh, familiar. It should. How, um, how different or similar will this be to your last foray into the state of Florida, which I may or may not have uh, been with you for, and I may or may, may or may not have witnessed things that will stay in Florida. Um, if it's anything like the last one, which I hope it isn't, it will be shaving off four more years off my life expectancy, which already was not a good number. So I'm hoping the mood's very different, but to be fair, I mean, spring training, it's, 
you get there early, you get a bunch of audio. The afternoon games are 11 a.m. games. Like it's just everyone shuts her down. It's like uh, retirement central. So if you're if you're still awake by 10 p.m., it's a bender. So I, I'm hoping to keep the the bender total down. Okay, so tell us about first of all, tell us about WestJet, and uh, they've got the brand new WestJet flight deck in the refurb Dunedin Stadium. Like, tell us a little bit about WestJet and how easy it is to get to spring training and get to all kinds of places with our friends at WestJet. Yeah, so basically, what's happened is uh, WestJet's obviously partnered up with uh, the Blue Jays over the past few years, the official airline of the Toronto Blue Jays, and what all these uh, major league teams love to do is have sort of little replicas of their big MLB parks. So what is now TD Ballpark used to be Dunedin Stadium and before that Florida Auto Exchange Stadium, la, 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 la. And it was probably one of the most out-of-date, you know, prehistoric-feeling venues you could watch spring training in. And so the city of Dunedin, the Blue Jays got together, they dumped a bunch of donut, and, of course, one of the features everyone loves at Rogers Centre is the WestJet flight deck, which is at center field, and you can walk to it from anywhere it's not a ticketed area, and it's a good place to hang out, have a drink, and watch the ball game from above center field. And so they've done that in this new, uh, I guess, renovation of TD Ballpark, amongst some other major renovations and, and more to come over the, the next uh, year as they start to move into the clubhouse and their training facilities, which was just built like it was 1975. So uh we're all excited about heading down and essentially we know WestJet's a great place to go for our sunshine destinations in these, uh, in these frosty winters we have here. And there'll be people from, I believe, Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, Toronto, and others all convening in Toronto to fly tomorrow right to Tampa. And we, we flew direct to Fort Lauderdale from Calgary. There's all kinds of options to get in the sun, but not many better options in spring than watching afternoon baseball in 27 degrees with beer in your hand on the WestJet flight deck. That's probably a good move on Wednesday. Who are you, like, who Who do you have your eye on? Who are you excited to see? And what are some of the stories that you're excited to catch up with once you get down there? For this is the third straight year you'll be at training camp or you'll be at spring training. So everyone loves the next greatest prospect. And the good news with the Blue Jays the last three years is they've had tons come through. And you think the system might be pretty tapped after you've graduated Biggio, Bichette, Vlad Guerrero, amongst others. But Nate Pearson is an absolute freak. He's not at this point slated to pitch this week, but I think he's had five innings and no one's even got a hit off the guy yet. He throws triple digits. He's a starter. He's like a six foot six, six foot seven righty that just throws gas, but can pitch. He's not just a thrower. And I'll love to see if I can catch a side session or something. I don't know that he's going to pitch in a game, but if he does, that would be great to see because he's just been phenomenal in spring, and we're going to be having that stupid conversation around the uh, his uh, service clock and when they can call him up to best suit their purposes for holding his rights down the road. Um, but he's going to be here this year if he's healthy, and he's going to be an impact maker. And if any early spring returns mean anything, he's going to be a guy you can slot in right at the front of the rotation. Okay, uh, Pinder's with us. Before I know you've got something planned, so we'll do that in just mm-hmm. a second. Um, but just give us a thought. We have not heard your take on last night's Flames game. My take is they they got worked from start to finish. They were pretty lucky to come back and tie that game, and yet they still came back to tie the game. You got to manage it better. You can't you can't not get a point out of a game that you were able yeah. to somehow come back and and tie. But uh, your observations on last night's loss to Vegas. Well, there's two things, right? You can't get down 3 nothing with an effort like that against an opponent you're chasing for home ice in your division. You, you just can't. Too often we've seen this team come out flat in big spots. 
And I thought it was Milan Lucic of all people dragging the team into battle and finally getting them at least engaged, but it took too long. It shouldn't be like that. It's been like three years of this. I feel like Glenn Goldson would still have a job here if they just showed up on time more often. Uh, but the other thing is, like, give them credit for being that team that, you know, finds a way to be in a position to earn points. And for all the, the online, I guess, questioning of Dave Riddick on that one, if you're Andrew Magipani, that shot's not going in if it's not screened, if it's not tipped. Like, get your stick out of there. I, I think the players are having a fantastic year. And I feel for David Riddick. It seems like every time he goes in net now, like, what are the chances? Are they getting 20 against? Like, I'd love you to do the deep dive on this at some point in this week, Pat. Like, how many games over the last month has David Riddick come in and been shelled and, like, first couple shifts of the game, there's a grade A. Like, I don't think the grade A's are close, so I know his numbers are bad, but what's the team play been in front of him? It feels very different when Talbot's in net. Uh, hi, Ryan. Logan Gordon here from Sportsnet. Uh, I'll be filling in for you this week. Uh, any tips or uh, pointers for uh, the week here at Sportsnet? Just uh, pat the star and just feed the star. Tee okay. him up yeah. for the star. Feed the yeah, star. Thanks. Yeah, that's what I thought. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> what What do you uh, What do you have planned? There's somebody else on the line. Like, what okay, What is going well, on here's here? Here's what we're gonna do. People ask Pat to hit, and we haven't really caught up since Friday. So I feel like mm. we should do people ask Pat. Can we do that? I okay. think we can. Riley? You've got questions. He's got answers. Phone him. Text him. Tweet him. He is the encyclopedia of life. People ask Pat. Okay, so I got the first one. How many times a day should I be washing my hands? What's the move here? Well, right now, like, you should, like, anytime you see a hand sanitizer station, like, just do it. Uh, like, if you're, if you're, if you have access to it, um, definitely. I know some people are like, ah, number one, I don't have to wash my hands. Wash Whoa. your hands anytime you are in a washroom. Just do it. Like, and, and, and for those who don't do it after the other one, like, come on, grow up. That's, that's disgusting on any given day, but especially right now. But anytime you see hand sanitizer, anytime you're near a sink with soap, yeah. just wash your hands. It's more for your own good. Like, you don't want to catch the damn thing. We're trying not to, we're trying not to have this thing blow up. Like, I don't want to see games without people in stadiums let's all do our best here yeah and while, yeah. while you're at the airport i think you should wash at least four to five times like, okay so one down like airport, three to go yeah <laughs> and especially good. at airports is there not yeah. is there not a place in the world like the worst of humanity is when people are at Scum airports. Like it's it's like all of the things that people are at their worst all come together when they're at an airport or near an airplane. Coughing it's like feet it's on not, chairs. It's not even and... just that. It's like you know people like I'm just gonna you know there's 700 people around me. I'm just gonna stop here without any warning and and see what happens. Like it's all oh you know what there's uh there's 60 people in front. I'm just gonna cut in front of these people. Yeah. You know I, I I gotta get to my flight anyway. Uh, that's my my rant's over. What do you, what else do you have planned for us? Well, I think we, you know, like we got people on Twitter, we got the text line, but we also like phones are involved. So let, let's see if we have a caller. What do we got? Hey, Pat, long time listener, first time <laughs> caller. How you doing? Uh, hey, what's going on? What's your <laughs> name, young man? <laughs> hey, I just got a couple questions for you today. Uh, two, two part question. Okay. In the 2010 Nevada versus Boise rivalry game, oh, what about Nevada football made that team win that game? And second part, if somebody playing that game was turning 33 years old today, how would they celebrate? Well, number one, uh, number one, uh, the main reason why Nevada won that game would have been their offensive line. Uh, definitely their offensive line. Uh, and second of all, if, if that if that guy might have been turning 33, 
guy should probably recover because I heard he was out on Saturday night getting after it pretty good. Um, but he should, uh, I think, at the very least, pour himself a nice glass of single malt scotch. And knowing the size of his fingers, only make it two fingers because otherwise that's a lot of scotch. A lot of scotch. <laughs> fair, fair. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Pat. I'm going to hang up and listen to the rest of the show now, all right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That, See, yeah. This is the thing about People Ask Pat. It's just so interactive. There's so many ways to get involved. The hashtag, People Ask Pat. That was, uh, if you're wondering, uh, John Bender, uh, former University of Natis, uh, Nevada standout. He played for Nevada? He did. Uh, I've never heard him bring that up. Uh, here's, what was he, a cornerback? Um, what was he? Yeah, he must have DB or something. He was He's quick on his feet, right? Um, here, I've got a couple for you just on, on the Twitter. Um if you are, are ever interested um, at People Ask Pat, um, this one came in. Um, we were talking. I, I, I threw out my uh, my magic number. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very well explained, I believe, on my tweet when I throw it out there. I get it all in under 280 characters. And uh, somebody responded, uh, at three, abood one. Are you speaking English, Pat? <laughs> Well, you are bilingual now, or at least getting close, I think, Pat. No, I am like, I, I, I'm getting there. I can understand a little bit more. I'm getting better with the Francais, but uh, not, not bilingual yet. Uh, this one, it wasn't so, much of a, uh, wasn't so much of a question as it was a, a strange. I thought it was very strange when I tweeted out that TJ Brody, uh, for the first time ever, has a three-game goal-scoring streak. Um, somebody, trade him now while his stock is high. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you basically all, all you can do is trade his rights for someone to negotiate with for like a late pick. That's all you got left. <laughs> uh, that was from uh, Twitter user at Hoogzies. So those are a couple of the ones that I have gotten the over the last couple of weeks. I did like that good question, stuff. though, from uh, John Bender. That was good. <laughs> all right, we'll chat tomorrow, Patty. I'll be in Florida again. Uh, better behavior this time, I promise. Uh, don't. No. Don't do that. At Why would get, you lie to us like that? Get a couple. All, get a couple of nights when there's no good behavior. Come on, I, I, I'm living vicariously <laughs> through you. Uh, enjoy. We will talk to you uh, throughout the week, and looking forward to what you bring us from spring training. Thanks, Ryan. See you, Ryan. Awesome. See you, boys. There's uh, Ryan Pinder at YYC. He is en route to Dunedin, Florida. Well, first to Toronto, then to Tampa, Mm -hmm. and then off to Dunedin. Uh, This is all with our friends at WestJet as uh, they have hooked us up for spring training. And uh, we are, I'm looking looking forward to seeing what we can do with WestJet going forward. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what Pinder can bring us from spring training. Actually, get some really good content from down there in years past. He's Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. We are underway from the Scotiabank Saddledome on this Monday afternoon. Afternoon. The playoff push continues for Stockton. We're going to focus in on that. We're uh, taking a look at the Flames on the farm. Head coach Kale McLean of the Stockton Heat is around the corner as Pinder and Steinberg's underway. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Three out of a possible four points for the AHL Stockton Heat over the weekend against the Bakersfield Condors. And in the playoff race, the Stockton Heat are in right now. 
Big three points they just earned on back-to-back nights and a big week coming up as well. Welcome back to the program. It's Pinder and Steinberg. Pinder is uh, en route to Florida, so it's Steinberg and Logan Gordon along with you, and now the head coach of the Stockton Heat, Kale McLean, joins us for his weekly hit with us. Kale, appreciate this, my friend. That had to be a uh, – I know that you lose the last game in a shootout and you would have liked to get four of a possible four, but to get three of four on back-to-back nights against Bakersfield, tell us about this past weekend for your group. Uh, well, thanks for having me on again. I'm happy to be here. Uh, you're right. It was uh, three out of four. Wasn't always pretty this weekend, but we're very happy to get three out of four points at a time of year when every point's getting increasingly important. So thought that the guys did a good job of battling back from a 2-0 deficit on Friday with a big third period goal by E2 Tulola on the power play to, to put us over the top. And uh, played a solid road game, pretty back and forth on Saturday. Would have liked to gotten the extra point in the shootout. Uh, our Tim Zagadulin did everything he could, but unfortunately we couldn't get that goal. You've got a three-game homestand this week. You've got two with Colorado as part of this three-game homestand. Like just, I know that every game is crucial for your group right now in the playoff race that you're in, but how important is this next week for your team? Yeah, this is a big one for sure. We've uh, got to make sure that we don't look past San Jose. Uh, you know, despite where they sit in the standings, they've been beating some good hockey teams lately. They've been playing some good hockey themselves. So that's uh, a team that's, you know, young and very explosive. So we have to make sure we are prepared for that one tomorrow. And then once we once we get past that one, we've got Colorado for two which are huge, both in our building. And Colorado has been a pretty uh, tough opponent this year. We've had our success in their building, but we were split previously in our building. So we're going to have to be ready. And and both teams know that, you know, playoffs and positioning and everything are on the line. So we expect it to be a real good weekend. Kale, what's the um, the value of this stretch for your group, especially for the younger players on this team, the first and second year pros, and and you know prospects in this organization? The value of being in this playoff chase, the value of playing meaningful hockey down the stretch, and and you know assuming you get there and the the postseason, how how important for development could this be for some of these guys? I, I think it can be huge for them. I, we're already seeing it right now at this time of year where. Uh, you know, the, the game has tightened up. Literally, the game is it's tougher to score goals. We're giving up less. Uh, other teams are giving us less opportunities. You really have to scratch and claw for what you can get. Uh, and so, you're, you know, you're getting good exposure to, you know, a young player like Itu Tulola, who I mentioned, or Glenn Godden carrying a lot of water for us, is now in a position where, you know, the, the a lot of pucks were dropping earlier in the year, but it's it's not coming as easy. And that's something that you learn in professional hockey is that as the year wears on, everyone tightens up and you really have to find a way to increase your level. And I think that uh, it's good for these young men. I think Adam Ruzica is a good example of a player who's been able to sort of find himself a role here with increased ice time and power play time. And, and now he's learning that in order to produce in March uh, against these men that you, have, you really have to be prepared every game. So it's valuable now, but it would, sure would be very um, crucial if we can get through these games and do what we need to do, get into playoffs and really put them in a position where there's a lot of pressure and there's very, very intense physical matchups that these guys got to navigate through. 
It's the head coach of the Stockton Heat in the American Hockey League, number one affiliate of the Calgary Flames. Cal McLean's with us, Logan. Uh, coach, I'm just curious about uh, a couple questions on goaltending here. Uh, I'm not sure how many teams at this point in the season have uh, equal starts uh, between their goaltenders, both John Gillies and uh, Artem Zagadulin coming into uh, action tomorrow with 29 games started. I'm curious what your approach is down the stretch as, you know, wins are valuable. How do you look at who your starting goaltender is going to be on a night-to-night basis and then even approaching a, a potential game one of a, a postseason game? Yeah, it's a, it is an unusual situation where we've gotten this far and feel like we've gotten strong contributions from both at different times. Both guys have stepped up, played a few games in a row. Uh, and at the same time, we've had splits like we did this weekend where we played at home on a Friday night and then we had to drive the three and a half, four hours on the bus to play Bakersfield in Bakersfield on Saturday. So we split the two guys. And so... Mm-hmm. We're, you know, I, uh, I feel like we're in a really good position where we've got two strong goaltenders. Uh, we're now, as you mentioned, at that time of year where there is a ball to be taken and run with a little bit in terms of just being able to really have someone step forward and really lock it down for us. But I still feel good about the idea that we've got guys that are, that are involved that are going to give us a really good one-two punch in the playoffs. And it's a matter of uh, getting there, so so the door is open for either one of them to be able to really uh, start, for lack of a better term, set the world on fire here and get things rolling for us in terms of playing really well, um, you know, back to back and further on. I think both have given us solid performances uh, this weekend. A slow start in the first period for John Gillies, but he found a way to bounce back in the second and third and shut the door. And as I mentioned, uh, Zagadulin was, he was solid throughout, I thought. And I thought, you know, some three key breakaway saves in the shootout. And unfortunately, we couldn't find a win. So I think that uh, he's, uh, they got their coaches in a tough position picking, you know, who's playing goal each night. And that's a good thing for us. With Kale McLean, the head coach of the AHL Stockton Heat, what's the uh, what's the value of having guys like Buddy Robinson and Alexander Yellison back with your group at this time of year? Well, it certainly gives us that that depth that you need at this time of year with Yellison on D. He's able to bolster uh, our our crew back there. It gives us a right shot, which is important. We have another right shot in a uh, PTO defenseman. Uh, Les Lancaster that we have up from Allen in the ECHL, but Yellison is our our go-to righty back there. So for you know different different situations, it's great to have that shot there. And obviously, Yellison's competitiveness is key for us. And Buddy Robinson, in terms of that that work ethic and compete too, really he adds a lot to our overall complexion of our team. With its you know whether it's on special teams or or five on five, so. Those guys were a big boost to us to get them back, and we know that uh, at any point here we could lose them or others going back the other direction, but certainly try to, as you mentioned, having a big weekend here, we want to try to make hay while we got these guys under our umbrella. And a final thought for you. Do you, like, there's a chance the Flames could have nine healthy defensemen here in the not-so-distant future, and and there could be a chance that Oliver Shillington joins your group at at some point down the road. Do you game plan for that? Is that something that that you are um, potentially penciling in, or is that something that you just say, if it happens, it happens, and we'll deal with it then? 
Uh, it, it is definitely something where if, if it happens, it happens and we'll deal with it then and we'll deal with it by giving him a ton of ice time. And I think everyone's aware that Oliver Shillington is just an elite level uh, defenseman in, in the AHL. So if we were fortunate enough to have Oliver, then obviously he's going to play in a lot of situations. He's going to play a lot of minutes. But at the same time, regardless of the Flames having nine, I think that right now we look at it as a situation where Oliver's with the Flames. And until someone tells us differently, we're going to move ahead as we are. He's been there all, all year, save a few games with us. And I think that uh, the, the best approach for us is to look at it as, hey, if we get him, that's a bonus. But uh, I know that Oliver and the Flames are looking to bigger and better things playoff-wise, so they're expecting him to be there. And um, we'll be ready if he ends up down here, if he needs to get warmed up down here, given the fact they have 9D up there. And uh, we'll just go, we'll just follow that route. Great stuff as always, Kale. Appreciate the time. Good luck this week and a big week for your team. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it very much. Take care. That's Kale McLean, head coach of the AHL Stockton Heat on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. It's Pat Steinberg and Logan Gordon along with you as we continue on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. Coming up on the Sports Drive at 5. Be tuned in between 5 and 6 o'clock for Inside the NHL. Brought to you by Calgary Co-op. They're not just locally owned. They're owned by you and you and you and you. Visit your Calgary Co-op co-op together for good we have got a ridiculous amount of ground to cover with elliot friedman all kinds of different topics of their nhl insider next on pinder and steinberg sportsnet 960 the fan sportsnet 960 the fan this is pinder and steinberg time to hear from our nhl insider elliot friedman as I said before the break, we have got a ridiculous amount of ground to cover with our NHL insider Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada. But, Freed, let's, let's start with yesterday. I, I, it was International Women's Day. It was very cool to be around while the game between Calgary and Vegas was going on. I only got an opportunity because I was here doing our, uh, our broadcast. I was only able to hear the last about five or six minutes of the telecast when everything in that game was happening. But uh, what do you think of a, a groundbreaking day for, for Sportsnet on International Women's Day? Well, I, obviously I'm really happy for uh, the people who were involved. Uh, you know, I think that... Uh, you know, it was a big broadcast. Um, and, you know, I, I think the thing that everybody should realize is it wasn't just the women who were in front of the camera. It was also the ones who were behind the camera. Um, you know, it's it takes a lot of people uh, to put uh, on, on a broadcast and a good one. And it takes a lot of people making quick decisions in difficult positions that never get seen by anybody. So, uh, I'm happy it went as well as it did. Um, I was at an event last night. I couldn't see all of it. The part I did see I thought was really good. The part I didn't see I heard was really good. So I'm just, I'm just happy for everyone. You want to see people do well. Yeah, no doubt about it. thought that was a, a good way to start off our chat, and we'll go from that into what is the biggest story in the world and is also turning into the biggest story in the sporting world Elliot I, I was watching headlines on Saturday and I would imagine things have evolved fairly significantly in the 48 hours since headlines where are we at with kind of contingency plans in the NHL when it comes to COVID-19 and how this story continues to evolve well I mean I think the key thing that you said there Pat is that it continues to evolve 
And um, the NHL was supposed to have some business meetings uh, later this month. They usually have those um, where basically all the key business employees from each team get together. And those sounds like they're going to be canceled if they haven't been canceled already. Um, you know, we're all wondering about games. We saw the, the tennis tournament last night. We just saw, I don't know if you're aware, but the whole country of Italy just announced basically it was shutting down. Yep. And it was the Northwest yesterday. Now it's the whole country. Um, Serie A has been shut down. Uh, I know there, there's some hockey playoffs in Denmark that have been postponed and the playoff setup has been changed. Um, there's a lot going on and we don't really know where we're going. And um I think there's a conference call in the NBA tomorrow. There was one with the owners in the league today, Major League Baseball today. I believe there's a hockey one tomorrow. Um, you know, there's there's a lot going on here, and, and the, the target is constantly. Can I come on the bed? Yeah, you can go on the bed, Maxie. Sorry about that, Pat. Um, it's all good. Uh, but uh, I think that it's, you know, I, I think it's going to be a lot of uh, – I think we're going to know a lot more in the next 24 to 36 hours as opposed to what we know now. It's always good when you get a Max uh, cameo on an Elliot Friedman hit as well. Yeah, especially in such a topic, eh? Like you're trying to sound serious because it's a big deal. And uh, and he walks in, yeah. Well, I'll say this much. Like with this topic, it's good to add a little levity because it is – it's it's actually a, a pretty terrifying topic, and I almost feel bad relating it to sports and, and talking about what it's going to mean for the NHL. But, you know, that's our business, and we're talking sports. The, the fact – like, this is from an NHL standpoint, and, and in this day and age, this is pretty unprecedented stuff. So, like, I've kind of braced myself for – anything like i you know yesterday was very strange doing post game and, and pregame with everything outside of the locker rooms and and that's only a minor change but i'm bracing myself for all kinds of different things that could happen here in the next number of months well i think that's very true pat i think we all have to be flexible right uh, um we don't know where this is going to go and what's going to change and you know i you know I, I think that we all have to understand that this is bigger than sports like this is this is a big deal and we have to understand that we have to change our schedules, maybe. We have to adjust the way that we live our lives uh, in the short term so that everybody else is uh, better off long term. And uh, for me, I just look at it that way. I look at it as, you know, we, we, ha- you know, we have to be smart. Um, this thing is spreading. Um, you know, to this point in time, it, it appears to be uh, limited in, in who it's um, you know, who it's really dangerous to, but, you know, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take precautions. That doesn't mean things can't change. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't do what you can to protect those people. So um, the way I kind of look at it is let's just be smart and let's just be prepared to adapt and, uh, and we'll see where this goes. Yeah. And I mean, you're right. Like it's it's crazy. We've seen the the women's world championship get canceled in Nova Scotia, which I just feel awful for for yeah. those athletes. Um, After you know, the you, whole year that it's kind of been for women's hockey, that's the last thing they kind of needed. Exactly. Um, and and then you've got you, Indian Wells gets canceled a couple of days in advance. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix in Formula One, they're going to go spectatorless, and that's hundreds of thousands of people that aren't going to be at a huge event there. Uh, I, I think that we probably should be prepared for uh, at, at some point 
games being played in different venues or, or non-traditional settings and stuff like that just because like I, I, that's certainly one of the things that I'm I'm not saying it's going to happen but it's certainly one of the things I'm prepared for well I think one of the things too Pat is that you know what if you know and God forbid knock on wood I hope it doesn't happen uh, an athlete on, on a team gets it yeah you know I mean what's you know what's that going to do so I have a feeling that these are all uh, conversations that like, like I really do believe that the leagues, like all of them, they've been working around the clock on this. And I think they've all kind of been working together um, to see kind of what, you know, what are you thinking? What are we thinking? And there's places like the center for disease control in the United States that can basically liaise with all of them. So I don't think that this is anything that's being done in a vacuum, Pat. Mm-hmm. I think it's being, um, it's a conversation where the leagues are together on this. They kind of all know what is going on. They're all getting the same advice. You know, Major League Baseball, a conference call today. I believe I saw reports the NBA's is tomorrow. I think the NHL is having one tomorrow. Um, it's not a coincidence that their timing is similar. It's because they're all getting the same information, and we're going to see where we go. And I, and I believe they've got, as Chris said on Saturday night during headlines, you know, you've got different ideas. Like, do you play with no fans? Do you play with in, uh, do you play in neutral sites? Do you have to cancel games or push back the playoffs? Like, I think one thing that's interesting to me is, and one GM said this to me today, like, we've got people complaining about, um, you know, the five-day break in the All-Star game. If you have a choice between no fans and postponing games, you know, you've got LeBron James saying yesterday that he doesn't want to do that. You've got Jason Spezza saying today that, you know, as much as he would hate to do that, he'd rather do that than no games because players would rather play. So a GM was saying to me today, if you have the choice, which one are you taking, postponements or no fans? He is Elliot Friedman, our NHL insider from Hockey Night in Canada, joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg uh, today with Logan Gordon. Logs. Uh, hi, Elliot. Uh, long time no chat uh, as usual between us here. Uh, the Senator's story here with uh, CEO Jim Little uh, continues to unravel, I guess is the best way that I'll put it. And uh, Brent Wallace of, of TSN, I'll give him credit for this, bringing it out on Twitter. Uh, adding a different element to the story today, saying that uh, their VP of Communications and Community Relations, PJ Loyello, is on leave, and uh, that they may have had his laptop and per- and uh, mobile phone. Uh, the organization took it back the same day as Little's firing. What what can you tell us about this? I know it's it's developed into a few different side stories, even. But what what can you tell us about that? Well, I think to to. Um... To kind of explain this, um, so Ottawa has some PR people, Brian Morris and uh, uh, Chris Moore, that have been there uh, for a while. And earlier this year, they brought in a new uh, PR person, and she was there for a while, and I think she was let go. Um, I, I, I don't know my timing, but it was around the time that uh, Jim Little uh, was brought in, and Jim brought in PJ Loyello, and PJ had been with the Montreal Expos for a while, and um, and then went with the when the team moved to Florida, he went with them there and was there for a while. I didn't know that he and uh, Jim Little were friendly, but they came in at the same time. So about the time that he was let go, 
uh, PJ Loyola was, I guess there's is put on leave is what Brent said. Mm-hmm. And we kind of, because like, you know, initially when I was doing the reporting on some of this, I was trying to reach PJ and I couldn't get contact information for him. And I was like, you know, what, what's going on here? And now I know. And, uh, you know, I think Brent's a hundred percent, right. I heard it on the weekend. I don't, there's no reason to believe that Brent is in any way incorrect. So I, I just, I think it just shows you that organizations in a little bit of turmoil right now. I don't know if you're aware about what I reported on the weekend, um, yes. but I think one of the things that could add another level here is that I think there could be some litigation between the or the senators and the search firm that brought them Jim Little. I heard that's also a possibility. I'm curious, Elliot, just as a, a side note to this, is does any of this rub the other owners the wrong way when these sort of stories come to light? Is this something, you know, we, you can, we've heard the jokes and the back and forth about, you know, Eugene Melnick and the Senators for a while now and their struggles even, you know, to find an arena closer to, to Ottawa and their fans. Is this something that the rest of the NHL, the Board of Governors, is going to, you know, try to keep keep it down or – you know, is this something that rubs them the wrong way to a point where they, you know, want to step into it to a degree? Yes. Um, I think that it bothers everybody quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I think the thing is that there's there's really not much the NHL can do um, unless, you know, Eugene Melnick violates some constitutional thing or he misses payments. Okay. And, you know, as far as we know, neither one of those things has happened. Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of where it is. You know, as we know, and we've reported it, they had an, a, a lowball offer to sell the team, um, I want to say, not last summer, but two summers ago, which I guess is the summer of 2018. Mm-hmm. And it was in the area of around $400 million. The league said it's not happening. Um, you know, they, you know they, we just had one expansion team for $500 million. We had another for 650. And I think Ottawa, if they get a new arena, and there's a lot of people who are closer to that situation than I am, who believe that if there was new ownership, they'd get a new arena, no problem, that it's a valuable franchise. And, you know, I think sometimes people worry about the league, the team might move the San- the league might move the Sanders. Um, you know, I've looked into, I've heard that same rumor. I've looked into it in the past. I don't think Gary Bettman has any desire to move the Ottawa Sanders. I, I just don't believe it. I think he, understand like he likes to keep franchises where they are he recognizes it's the nation's capital i i think he knows it's um you know there's the problems with the senators are not um are not something that you need to move the team i don't think that's a a factor at all but i think in order to move out an owner there have to be especially an owner who wants to be the owner of the senators it's a very big part of Eugene Melnick's identity. He's got, you know, if, if, if he doesn't have the Sanders, he's, he's not who he is now in terms of his profile. And his, it's very important to him. So the, there's only certain situations where they can really do something and he hasn't missed payments. So, you know, that's kind of where we are. He's Elliot Friedman, our NHL insider, joins us Mondays here on Pinder and Steinberg. Elliot, uh, you're fresh off a trip to GM's meetings in Florida, and the big news there was the salary cap projection of anywhere between 84 and $88.2 million. But there's a lot of 
seems to be ever since that news was made public by Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, there's a lot of skepticism as to whether or not that's an accurate projection. What what can you tell us about what you've heard on next year's salary cap based off what we heard from Bill Daly earlier this week? Um, well, I think now, I, I think the other thing that really throws uh, a, a kind of a strange wrinkle into all of this is the whole coronavirus situation. Right. Didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you know, now, I mean, thinking about where we could be headed, that's another issue. Uh, I, I think 88, you know, now thinking about it a bit longer, I would be surprised if it got that high. I, I don't. I think that was optimistic, and it's. I don't think it's getting there. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to end up around, depending on what happens now, or like we talked earlier, we're kind of in uncharted waters. Um, it's probably going to be in the 84 range. Um, you know, I, I think the, I think the league gave an optimistic projection at the top, and I believe it hopes they'll be around 84 at the bottom. I know that there's been some real skepticism about it. I think the league believes that one reason it could go up maybe a little bit more than $2 million is because less, next year it believes there's less money in the system and that the, the, league, the league might actually – it might hurt the league in terms of how much they have to pay in escrow. So I, I think that that's kind of where their prediction was. We'll see. There's a lot of skepticism. And I mean, now, guys, with this whole coronavirus scare, yep, yep. you know, I mean, it throws an additional curveball in there that's potentially pretty big. Taking like the, like taking that out of it, even going back to last year uh, when the projection ended up as one thing and the final number ended up as another. So what goes into finalizing that number? Uh, and and because I know the NHL and the NHLPA have got some negotiations. So what goes into finalizing the cap number and getting a definitive cap when it's all said and done? Well, I, I think the key thing is is they do the math on the revenues and they split it. And you come up with a number, and then the big question becomes, what do the players want to do? The players have the right to bump it up by up to 5%. So let's just say to make the math easy, uh, they come up with the revenue numbers, and they say $80 million. Okay? And then so the players have the right by vote to increase it by, it's called the inflator or the escalator, up to 5%, which would add another $4 million. And in the early years of the cap system, they would always pump it up or almost always pump it up the max because, you know, and one of the biggest arguments was held actually in the Calgary dressing room when, you know, one player, because the escrow costs, the more you bump it up, the more chances the players will get escrow money withheld. And there was an argument in your dressing room years ago where the players were having their vote and one of your uh, players said, you know, um, I'd like to cap it. I don't want to go 5% because there's, we're paying too much escrow. And another player who was a free agent that year uh, said, oh, okay, so you get the maximum amount where you get to sign, where the year you have to sign a new contract, but the year I want to sign a new contract, I don't get the maximum. And that second player's argument won the day. There was always a feeling that you had to put the most amount of money in the system so everybody could capitalize with the biggest possible free agent number. And in the last few years, that started to change. There was just so much complaining about escrow, and the players were so unhappy about it that they started dropping their percentages. You know, sometimes it was closer to two. The last few years, it's been around one. 
Um, and, you know, that's kind of where we've been. So the players haven't been increasing it as much. And, and that's the conversation that goes into it, Pat. But like okay. I said, because next year could have been a work stoppage year, lockout or strike, there was less cash in the system. And I think the league was hoping that that meant the number could be higher. Anything else that, that you really took away from 2020 GM's meetings in Boca Raton? It was nice to have some warm weather for a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, bad. you know, I, the number one thing, like, I just, like, I don't um, – I'm in the studio so much now, Pat, that I don't get a chance to travel. Um, I miss traveling, a, not a ton, but a little bit. Like, I think in our business, Pat, I think FaceTime is so important. You know, that's why when I first started in radio, where you guys are now, I, I really like to go to practices and things like that as I was starting out, just so that people would know my face. Like, yep. And, uh, you know, it was – you know, Mark Bergevin had a message to get out last week. It was good to sit down and, and talk to him. Um, you know, it was good to just chat with some guys for a couple minutes. And uh, I, that's, to me, that's the most important thing about the GM's meetings is, can I get, you know, a few minutes with guys just to say hello and what's going on with your team and, and how you doing? Because I think for my job, that's very important. Final thought for you, and that is on the Pacific Division playoff race. Calgary lost a heartbreaker last night. The Canucks are struggling. They lost a tough one at home to Columbus. From afar, just your observations on this Pacific Division playoff race and, and how you see it maybe all playing out. Boy, it, it seems like it almost changes every day, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, like I really like Vegas. I, I thought from the beginning of the year on paper – they were the best team in your division, and finally they're beginning to look like it. Um, you know, I, I, I really, I mean, fluke goal last night, but um, I thought Leonard was such a huge get uh, at the deadline uh, for them, solidifying a, a weakness they felt they had. I, I think they're your, I think they're the best team in the division. I know this is going to go over really well on your in your city, but I like Edmonton a lot too. I. I I think that team has made huge steps this year. Um, I think they're getting enough goaltending. I still worry about that being their biggest Achilles heel. But when you've got those two nuclear weapons, I, I like their team a lot. I, I've liked you guys a lot more lately. Um, you're, I think some of your key guys are finally starting to go. Um, I think Talbot has really given you a lot more than you thought you were getting this year. Um, uh, you know, I, I just think, you know, the, the thing that scares me the most about you guys is your inconsistency. Um, I, I, I think you've started to be more consistent lately and I like the way you fought back last night, but I just like to see, I just want to know every night I'm getting Monaghan and Goudreau and Kachuk and Backlund and, and, and Giordano and Brody just being what you expect them to be. And I think that this has been a kind of a year where you guys have been really up and really down. I mean, I'd be concerned about Vancouver right now. You can't have losing streaks at the at this time. I think very quietly that Connor Garland injury to Arizona is going to be a big problem for them. They've got to win in Winnipeg tonight. And I don't honestly, guys, I don't know what to make of Nashville. One game they're good, the next game they're terrible. I can't believe that way Minnesota's played. I'm amazed the Jets are still in it. Like every week, 
my 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 feelings on these teams changes. That's kind of, but I believe that Vegas is the best team, and I think they should win your division. Great stuff as always, Elliot. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks, Alice. All right, guys. Take care. Lots to get to with Elliot Friedman every Monday, and uh, we really did touch on pretty much everything yeah. with the best in the business. He joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg. Let's focus back in on last night around the corner. We've got your deep dive from yesterday's heartbreaker against the Vegas Golden Knights. That's next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Get ready to be bombarded with statistical analysis. Let's jump off the high board for Pinder and Steinberg's deep dive on Sportsnet 960. Cannonball! All right, welcome back to the Scotiabank South. Get a little wet on a Monday. Harold. My hair around. Um, welcome back to the program. Yes, we are at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome, the site of last night's heartbreaker. Flames come all the way back to tie a game against the Vegas Golden Knights and then allow the game winning goal 70 seconds later. They end up falling by a 5 3 final score. But as much as the score would lead you to believe one thing, the underlying numbers, and I think the eye test too, but the underlying numbers would tell you that this was not close last night. So I'll break it down period by period on the five-on-five five possession side of things. Flames were 43.8% possession in the first period, where the Vegas Golden Knights had an 18-14 edge in shot attempts. In the second period, they were 30%. The five-on-five five shot attempts were 28-12. And despite the fact the Flames were able to find a way to tie that game in the third period, that was an absolute clinic on how to shut down a one-goal game by the Vegas Golden Knights. Flames had 26.7% possession in the third. The five-on-five shot attempts were 22-8 in favor of Vegas, and Calgary was the team trailing for most of that period. Uh, Overall, Flames finished 33.3% possession. Final shot attempts at five-on-five were 68-34 in favor of Vegas. Final high-danger scoring chances were 11 seven golden knights i know that it was a heartbreaker and i know that they found a way to come back to tie that game but the flames were extremely fortunate to even be in it in that one that was complete and utter dismantling i i felt from almost start to finish there were stretches where calgary was okay Robin Lehner has more of a Robin Lehner night, and that probably is just an easy regulation win for Vegas. And so I guess what I take away from all of that is that the Flames have got to make adjustments for April 2nd, and there's a chance the Flames play Vegas in the postseason. Absolutely. They've got to use last night's game as a template of what Vegas can do at their best and they've got to be able to fight through it a whole lot more than they did last night because Vegas is elite in almost every metric out there. If Calgary faces them in the postseason, they've got to find a way to be able to play on the same ice surface as they do. Here's the best way that I I can put it when I was looking ahead at this uh, more than anything was because there was actually some similarity I found between the three games on this homestand, between the Columbus-Arizona games and then uh, Vegas. And I found it interesting what Matthew Kachuk said before Friday's game. He said, look, we can't be keep putting ourselves in these spots where we have to come back or make a late comeback. Uh, we want to be the team on the other end of that. We want to be putting the pressure on, on the other teams to come back late. And I found it interesting because I find that, uh, yes, they were down against 2-0 against Columbus. They were able to climb back into that one. They were down very shortly 
you know, for a very short period of time against Arizona, and they found their way back into that one. But Vegas is a different level and a different caliber of team than both Columbus and Arizona. So if there was a lesson to take from that and uh, for Calgary last night, it's, look, you can maybe pull that off against a Columbus, against an Arizona if you absolutely had to. But when it comes to playing, you know, big boy playoff hockey like that, most nights I would say Vegas isn't going to let you back into that game. And if circumstances were even, you know, slightly different, like you said, Robin Lehner makes one different save than it does, the game looks completely different. And you're not going to be able to make those comebacks against really good teams. Put yourself down in a 2-0 hole against Boston a few weeks ago. See what the result is from there. Because I can guarantee you most nights it's not a comeback. And, it, you know, the score was definitely flattering for Calgary in this one. You said even the eye test probably shows you it wasn't as close as the score indicated. It really wasn't. And, and again, good on the Flames for finding a way to come back and tie the game. And good on the Flames for being able to get back in it. And I didn't love the way they managed it afterwards. But I came away from that game saying, eesh. There's one team the Flames do not want to play in round one. It's Vegas. Now, that might not be um, – now, we'll see. Vancouver's going to have to hold up part of their bargain if Calgary's going to even be in the conversation for a wild card right now. Yeah. But, yeah, if you're, if you're Calgary, it's not necessarily in your control. But if you can – uh, don't play Vegas in round one <laughs> yeah. of the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I would not like that if I were the Flames. Uh, now, I do have some good news on last night. Okay. Calgary's magic number did drop. Uh, because Vancouver lost their game at home to Columbus, uh, the magic number update is now this. 12.5 to clinch a playoff spot. That number is calculated to the Minnesota Wild. And 13 to clinch in the Pacific Division. That number is calculated to the Vancouver Canucks. And it gets very complicated because points percentage is what you base this on. And the standings are all over the place. But right now, the first team on the outside looking in by points percentage in the Western Conference is Minnesota at a 558 so Calgary's magic number on them is 12 and a half and the first team obviously outside of the Pacific Division conversation is Vancouver so Calgary's magic number to clinch in the Pacific and be one of the three teams is 13 if you're wondering what a magic number means it uh, basically every time Calgary wins a game in any fashion and anytime one of the teams I just mentioned loses a game in regulation that number drops by one an overtime or shootout loss either way and that number drops by 0.5 when the number gets to zero then the flames have clinched a playoff spot so uh, right now 12 and a half to clinch 13 to clinch in the pacific the good news there from a flame standpoint even with last night's heartbreaker vancouver didn't win yep. although minnesota did come back and beat the anaheim ducks in overtime the flames very much control their own destiny as it stands right now yeah and look we we've had this conversation as the march came around that you know i was always of the mindset that if you take care of the games that are you know specifically against the teams you're battling in the pacific and the teams that you're battling in the wild card you give yourself a pretty good chance to be there when it's all said and done because you have games. Uh, you had the game against Arizona. You'll see Winnipeg on Saturday. You've still got another game with Vancouver and Winnipeg later on in the month. So you have every opportunity to put yourself in there if on those game nights you're making sure that you're coming away with two points or if you want to you know, take it back to last night in a situation where you're tied 3-3 late in the game with three minutes left you find a way to push it out and get the extra point there 
their destiny is is right there in front of them and it's not hard at this point to to see the flames in a playoff spot uh, in the next few weeks and i will give milan lucic a lot of credit last night um his line got hemmed in in their own zone a lot like mm-hmm. they spent a lot of time defending but i'll i'll give lucic a ton of credit he finished with a goal and an assist. He got the Flames on the board. He assisted on Dylan Dubé's pretty one to get the Flames back within one. And what I really liked about Lucic last night is that he did a nice job of – he was one of the few guys that felt comfortable in a game like that. I felt there were a lot of players last night that or, – or a few of the important players anyway that, that looked like – they just weren't comfortable in a game played like that. Vegas plays an extremely playoff-friendly style. They are heavy. They play physical. They are smothering. And Milan Lucic looked right in his element mm-hmm. last night. Seven hits. He was finishing checks. Like That looked like the Milan Lucic that Brad Trilliving went out and got. And everybody said when he, went, when he got him that, Okay, regular season's one thing, but let's see what type of impact Lucic can make in a playoff series. Mm-hmm. And at the very least for one game that kind of felt like a playoff game, and I'm sorry, that felt more like a playoff game and a playoff style game yes, than the yeah. Arizona day game did on Friday. Arizona game was tight, and, and there was desperation on both sides, but just the way that game was played, I felt that it emulated more of a playoff game yesterday. So... Uh, the fact that Lucic was there, had himself ready, was engaged, and and was being a physical difference maker, I thought that was a real positive sign for the group. Yeah, it, it was interesting because you can definitely see how Vegas's game translates to the postseason so well because it is, you mentioned it's physical. They're still playing with tempo. They're on you all the times. Uh, but I was impressed with Lucic that you know so much of it I thought from. Uh, what we saw early on with Milan was the stuff after the whistle, the sort of stuff that you can't put on a stat sheet and show somebody at the end of the year the difference that they make. And look, I, I put some value as someone who watches hockey in those sort of situations, that when someone's in your goaltender's face, you know, you're the guy that's going to stand up there and push them out of the way, get involved, you know what I mean? Get yourself even emotionally engaged, as Jeff Ward has said so many times. Those are the stuff that I don't think always show up on a stat sheet. But Milan proved to me last night that there's still a game out there that he can play that's going to have an impact on an NHL roster against a very good team. Uh, Would I say that his goal that he scored was uh, one that's going to get past most NHL goaltenders on a nightly basis? No, no. But he was in the position to be there on the two-on-one. He was involved with it on Dubé's goal. And you know what? He didn't have to drop the gloves last night to be their most impactful forward. And that, I think, was a big plus for number 17 last night. It's your deep dive. Final score last night, 5-3. Flames fall to the Vegas Golden Knights. They're back in action Thursday when they welcome the New York Islanders. 7 o'clock face-off right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hey, be tuned in between 5 and 6 o'clock tonight as Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Well, there is a huge elephant in the room when it comes to North American professional sports. We're going to attempt to tackle that elephant when we come back. Pinder and Steinberg's underway. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. 
It is really the elephant in the room when it comes to professional sports right now. What is North American pro sports going to look like over the next few months? And I, I honestly don't know the question. I don't know the answer, rather. I really don't. We talked to Elliot Friedman about it earlier this hour. It's up on sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now. And if you missed it, we'll hear Elliot again after 5 o'clock. But Indian Wells gets canceled in California. That's tennis's fifth major. That's a massive, massive that's, tournament. That's, I was going to say, that's the, the biggest non-major event they have every year. That's right? where that's, uh, the... that, that's, that's a huge, huge moneymaker for that area. And it just got canceled. It was supposed to start this week, canceled, because there was a confirmed case of COVID-19. Women's World Hockey Championships canceled in Nova Scotia. I, I got to be – that one – That one that stings one, a little bit more. That me. one is a kick in the gut for me. I can't imagine how that feels for anybody involved in the sport of, of, of hockey on the women's side. You know, like, there's been so much turmoil. There's been – so many gut punches and body mm. blows this this past year or so when it comes to professional women's hockey and, and how it's all gone. And now for this, for these athletes to have prepared as long as they have. And this is, this is what they prepare for every single year. Mm-hmm. Right? They, this is the constant for them. This right? is the one this thing that the they know, right? They know is going to happen and they're going to get the best on best and they're going to be able to work towards and all that. And like you mentioned, the – with the, all the pro league up and down for them to have this going is just – I feel awful uh. for them. I really do. Um, but – and I'm, I'm not trying to sit here and say it was the wrong decision to cancel it. I'm no. just saying it's just a more awful, awful fortune. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm glad that they're going to do it again in Nova Scotia in 21. Um, but, yeah, I just felt awful when I heard that news. I – I find like they're doing empty stadium soccer games in Europe right now. Mm-hmm. The entire country of Italy has been shut down. Yep. Um, the Bahrain Grand Prix, like this is like a, a Grand Prix, like attracts eighty to a hundred thousand people, if not more, on any given day. Like I, I've I've got tickets for Montreal in June. I don't know if that's going through. Like I, I think yeah. there's a decent chance that that. I, now, so far in this country, it has been relatively contained and, and not very widespread, but everybody's predicting that that's coming and this is going to continue to spread. Well, and, and, and even events like that that attract people from so many different areas, too. That's, that's a good point. That's exactly why I think things like that are going to be the ones that are most likely to well, I, run but, into those sort of situations where they have to be canceled or go every single fans, year. Right? Every single year, the Canadian Grand Prix is the largest sporting event in this country, and it's not close. You know how many people descended on um, – on Montreal and and that island um, and the circuit de, uh, circuit Gilles Villeneuve, three hundred and sixty thousand people over Jeez. three days okay. showed up for that thing. That's a significant. But like that is a staggering a amount of number. humanity yeah. that showed up for that thing. I mean, it's it's over a spread out area, but not that spread out. No, three hundred and sixty thousand people in one area for a race over three days. Well, and we get we keep getting stuff. We got updates today. We were just talking about it in the break there from Adrian Modronowski of, of ESPN that the NBA 
has started to take their directives from things now, and we've got the locker room off limits to us here at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. But the NBA is taking that a step further. That uh, media is now availability is going to be six to eight feet away from the players, so they're not going to be anywhere near. Uh, the reporters and the media coming in now. Uh, Chris Johnston, who will, I believe we'll have tomorrow on the show, is yep. saying that the NHL is considering uh, similar directives like that. We've already said I mentioned the dressing room thing here, so maybe we'll start to see that uh, come into effect here. And I think you have to start thinking about the the local impact to it here, even if it's not, if even if it hasn't reached the scale here that it is in other places. Not yet. Just not yet, not right? yet, exactly. And the fact of the matter is is you have to be prepared for these sort of things and you have to look ahead and you have to almost assume the worst to kind of avoid it, you know. Well, being I'm just like kind that, of so. of the I'm just bracing for anything really. Like I I don't know whether or not they're going to play playoff games with no spectators. I don't know if they're going to cancel games. I don't know if they're like but I'm prepared for anything. Could, I really I, am. I fully believe at this point any of that could happen. Exactly. And that's that. You got to think in and of itself that that that's crazy. We've never had. We've never sat here and talked about the Flames playing, you know, San Jose in front of nobody. But absolutely no. We've never had that conversation. Even at this level here, Pat. Say the Flames make the playoffs. Remember uh, against Colorado last year. What did they do in the Saddle Dome parking lot? They put up a big projector screen, and they said, come on down, let's all celebrate together, we'll watch the Flames together. You think an event like that's going to go through when something like this is happening? Not a chance. Again, I don't know know what's going to happen. I don't know how the different governments involved are going to contain things and get on top of this over over the next month. I mean, depending on who you talk to, the... And the opinions are all different, so I don't know what to believe. There's so much misinformation out there mm-hmm. in, this, in, this, in this day and age. But depending on who you talk to or who you listen to or who you read, things cases are dropping and this is starting to normalize or we're just scratching the surface and, bam, this thing is just about to explode on us. I don't know. All I know is that I'm prepared for my job and my passion as a watcher of sports. I'm ready for it to be different. I'm ready for it to be unprecedented, and I'm ready for things that we've never had before. And and, and that's, you know, a couple people texting uh, 960-960. Uh, says, what about Stampede? Uh, it's a fair one. I mean, from a sporting standpoint, uh, mm-hmm. Stampede has the, the, largest, um, the largest chuck wagon event in North America and the largest rodeo in North America or one of the largest rodeos in North America. Um, yeah, I think that's a very fair question. And I, I honestly don't know. You can't, you can't answer those things because between now and July, I have no idea where this thing no. is going to go. But I'm not going to, like from our standpoint, I'm not going to be shocked one bit if the only media availability we get with players starting tomorrow when the Flames practice is on a podium or where you got to tape a microphone up to a stand and go about it that way. Won't mm-hmm. be surprised. It is uh, some unprecedented times that we are currently entering. And it's going to have an impact on how we watch and consume sports. I think that you just kind of have to be ready for it. And and my advice, if anybody's interested in it, my advice would be just brace for anything. Brace for yeah. brace for canceled games. Brace for postponed games. Brace for games. Brace for games without fans in stadiums. 
And if that doesn't happen, that's great. If we don't get there, that means that this thing's being contained. So, yeah, it's, it's a bizarre, bizarre situation that we find ourselves in. I do know that we are planning our Sportsnet 960 Old School Playoff Pool oh, coming yeah. up on April 6th at the Palace Theater. We need a team of eight, and you've got to uh, enter now at sportsnet.ca, or register now, rather, at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Limited spots. So uh, if you have not registered yet, go check it out. Get in there now and it's a great party the actual draft itself we got mug shots down they've got calgary's best wings there um have some drinks and the best part about the old school playoff pool it all goes to support our good friends at kids sport calgary once again sportsnet.ca slash 960 it's all brought to you by wild rose brewery brewing quality craft beer in calgary that fuels the hard-working albertan wild rose brewery branded with character it's pat steinberg and logan gordon along with you Derek wills is up next with our daily flames round table we've got some playoff talk and some goaltending talk round tables three minutes away sportsnet 960 the fan pinder and steinberg in the afternoon brought to you by glenmore audi sportsnet 960 the fan Heartbreaker for the Flames last night here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. They fall 5-3 to the Vegas Golden Knights. They fight back from an 0-3 deficit, tie it with three minutes to go, and then 110 seconds later, it's Shea Theodore's shot going off of Andrew Manchapani's stick and upstairs on David Riddick. It's time for our daily Calgary Flames roundtable. It's Pat Steinberg and Logan Gordon here at the Dome, and now the radio voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete the roundtable. I got to be honest with you guys. I, I know the Flames came back and tied that game last night, but I, I really at no point felt it was all that close. I felt the Flames were second best for most of the night. So that's why I asked this question. I know they don't have control over it, but how much should the Flames try to avoid the Golden Knights in the postseason? I actually see it a little bit differently, Pat. I know that the underlying numbers suggest differently. You threw them out there earlier. Did you have the Flames' possession number highest in the first period? Yes. See, and I thought the first period was by far their worst period. Not even close. I thought they were better in the second, especially in the second half of the second period, and even better in the third. The thing about the Golden Knights is they lead the NHL in shots on goal per game. So they're shooting from anywhere and everywhere and it works they also they them. also lead the league in just overall possession they're they're yeah they're, they're they are that team that that funnels pucks towards the net yeah and on most nights i think the possession stats tell a pretty accurate story last night was one of those nights where i really i don't think that's the case because i think the flames were at their worst in the first period and their possession numbers were better in the first than they were in the second and third periods when i thought they got better but as far as ranking potential playoff opponents goes for the flames as far as Pacific Division teams are concerned, the Golden Knights would be at the bottom of the list for me. I'd rather play the Oilers or the Canucks or the Coyotes if they could get in. As far as the Western Conference is concerned, if the Flames were to finish in a wild card spot or get to the second round and potentially play somebody from the Central Division, I think the Avalanche, when healthy, are the scariest team for me. And then I'd put the Golden Knights, when healthy, right there with the Blues because they play a similar style of game. So uh, as far as the Pacific Division teams are concerned, again, I'd rather play against the Oilers or the Canucks or the Coyotes uh, and not the Golden Knights. But I also saw in the second half of last night's game that when the Flames are at their best or close to at their best, they can hang with a team like the Golden Knights. And the, the one big takeaway for me, and ultimately they lost the game, 
didn't even pick up a point in the game after battling back from three nothing down and, and that's what matters most at this time of the year when you need points in this playoff race but my one takeaway is that physically the flames didn't back down obviously led by Milan Lucic but the Golden Knights have been one of the heaviest teams hardest teams to play against in the league for two or three years and they can run you right out of the building especially their building but even on the road they can do the same thing and have done that to the flames and to other teams as well but last night the flames didn't go away lucic had seven hits in the game and i think that number might be a little bit low i think he had seven big hits in the game for sure the golden knights team had nine the flames out hit them 26 to nine so at least the flames didn't back down physically and and in the past They've been a team that when games get hard like that, they haven't necessarily been able to or willing to, to step up and, and play that style of hockey. But led by Lucic, they did it last night. And I think it's like Mark Giordano said after the game. We came out of this one without any points, but feeling like we could play with these guys. And I think that's a good thing. I don't mean to discount the question when I say this as far as mm-hmm. you know how much the Flames should avoid Vegas one way or the other. I don't know that they have much say in the matter. Uh, really, when things come down to it, I think second or third is likely where Calgary winds up when everything's said and done uh, in the Pacific Division. And it looks to me, as at least with how things are going right now with Vancouver, Arizona's put themselves uh, in a pretty bad position, and Vancouver's trending that way currently too, that it seems like Vegas, Edmonton, and Calgary are going to be the the one two three throughout the Pacific, regardless of uh, of really what other teams do, unless Vancouver suddenly really turns things around. So you know when you're talking about who you're going to get out of those two teams, it's really just going to come down to you know whatever happens with the the standings where they are at the end of the day. I don't know how much you can do to to really control your fate unless it comes down to that last game against Edmonton, one way or the other, where you know it's a 2-3 and Vegas is in a one spot sort of thing. And if you beat mm-hmm. Edmonton and get two points, then they have to play Vegas uh, or something like that. So um, I, I don't know that there, there's that much control in it. I, I don't think that they're a great matchup for the Flames with the physicality that they play. And from a, a selfish standpoint, I, I'm absolutely excited by the idea of Calgary and Edmonton in round one myself. So. I'm- I'm like half excited, half terrified. For it is a bit of a Here's what I'll say about last night, Derek. Uh, I've, I've talked to a c- couple people with the organization today, and on, on both fronts, uh, I have heard that when they went back and watched the game, uh, they are far less positive on the game than they were last night. Uh, on a second viewing, um, the both these people I've talked to said that uh, yeah we were nowhere near as good as we thought we were. I I I looked at it last night. I didn't. I thought the Flames were the second best team for most of the night. I didn't. I thought they were very fortunate to come back and tie the game. And I thought a better Robin later night. They don't probably do that. Uh, and I I did think that that was a pretty slanted game. Um, but that's that's immaterial to the conversation in a lot of ways because what I think it it comes down to is. Games against or, or series against teams, and, and you put, and I'm completely with you when you put the Golden Knights and St. Louis Blues in the same category. And it's games against teams like that or a series against teams like that that really scare me from the Flames. Because what I didn't like last night was in a physical game, in a playoff style game, um, some of the 
really important players for the Flames struggled. And that's what worries me is that in those types of games where there's a little bit more intimidation, where there's a little bit more of a in-the-muck feel of the game and the other team's got the ability to really dictate how things go, uh, th- those are the games that I worry about some of Calgary's top-end players. So I Vegas would be at the top of the list in terms of teams I'd want to avoid if I'm the Flames. Vegas and St. Louis would be the two for me that mm-hmm. if you're the Flames, you just don't want to face in round number one. They, they don't really have any control over it. It's not like they can choose who they play, but if, if I'm them, Vancouver or Edmonton are, are far better, or definitely Arizona, far better uh, opponents to play, and I think Vegas is going to win the division, so it just further incentivizes how important, and you've been saying this for weeks, my friend, how important it is for the Flames to be one of those three Pacific Division teams. Yeah, I'm not counting the Oilers, though, either. I must admit, I've really been surprised We've by... We've kind of all been wrong on them. Yeah, yeah. How, how consistent they've been this season. And going back to last night, just briefly, don't get me wrong, I think the Golden Knights were the better of the two teams. I just don't think that in the second half of the game it was as lopsided as right. as some do. And... I, I think there are some positives you can take out of last night's game, but I think there's some negatives as well. The, the start has to be better, and the Flames needed more from their fourth line last night. I mean, they were down to five defensemen, so I have a hard time holding anything against that group of five. They all played more minutes than they would have had Noah Hannafin not been hurt two minutes into his night. So, But, but Sam Bennett, for me, is a guy who's been at his best in the playoffs, and, and last night's game had a playoff feel, and Sam played just over eight minutes, and I'd like to, to see him earn more ice time than that moving forward. And they hardly used Mark Jankowski and, and Zach Ronaldo, mm-hmm. and then you look at what the Golden Knights got from their fourth line, and Peter DeBoer was able to roll four lines and three pairings, and he's got two really good goaltenders. And I'm not sure Robin Leonard was any better or worse than David Riddick last night. I don't think it was a banner night for either goaltender. And then the other two things, Johnny Gaudreau, again, fails to score in a breakaway. Sooner or later, you have to hope that his luck changes if you're a Flames fan, and certainly if you're Johnny. And then the Flames had a goal overturned that I think was one that really could have gone either way. That was one of those ones where there's a huge gray area and one set of referees calls it one way and I think another set of referees sees it a different way. But uh, getting off of last night's game and and kind of back to the topic, I think you have to be careful if you're a team trying to potentially pick who you would like to play in the first round of the playoffs. And all you have to do is go back to last season, guys. Don't you think that most people looked as the avalanche as the best possible first-round matchup yep. for the Flames. Including, I know my, I did. including myself. Yep, yep. Yeah, sure. I did, for sure. I mean, I looked at that team. The Flames swept the season series. They had won eight of nine regular season games against the Avalanche going into that best-of-seven series. I looked at the Avalanche kind of like I look at the Oilers now. Yeah, they've got you know two or three really high-end guys, but they don't have the depth that the Flames do. But the Avalanche dominated that series. If not for Mike Smith, it doesn't go five games. It's over in four. So I think it's a dangerous game to say, well, we have a better chance against this team mm-hmm. than that team for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you get the team that you think you're, you best match up against, maybe you take them a little bit lightly. And then if you get the team that you don't think's potentially the best matchup for you, maybe in the back of your mind, you don't think you can beat them. So I think you just have to play your best hockey down the stretch and whoever you get, you get. And I think the Flames have a chance to beat anybody in the Western Conference. I do give them a better chance against teams like the Canucks and the Coyotes and the Oilers, though. 
No, but that last point is well said, and uh, I'm with you on that front. It's Derek Wills, Logan Gordon, Pat Steinberg. This is our Daily Calgary Flames roundtable. Gents, what did we think of the decision to go with David Riddick last night as Calgary's starting goaltender? I was surprised. I'm not going to lie. I mean, Cam Talbot has been so good. He, he hasn't started four straight games all year. I thought that yesterday was going to be the first time he got four consecutive starts. I mean, you look at his numbers during his three-game winning streak. I don't have them in front of me, but 3-0-0 with one shutout and I think a save percentage above 960 during that stretch. The only other time he got three straight starts was back in January. Again, 3-0-0 and a save percentage north of 950, if I'm not mistaken. So he's had three or two, three game stretches this season where he's been almost unbeatable and he's really feeling it right now. And the team, I think has played really well in front of him. He's been so calm back there. And I think that that's been good for the forwards and the defenseman in front of him. So and I, I thought they would probably ride the hot hand. I suspect Pat that if the flame schedule set up differently this week, they would have gone mm. with Talbot yesterday. I, I really think that because it had been a while since David Riddick played, and because there was a three-day break between last night's game against the Golden Knights and Thursday night's game against the Islanders, that they just didn't want Riddick to sit out any longer. But if they had played tomorrow or even Wednesday, I wonder if the coaches would have gone back to Talbot and then potentially gone to Riddick against the Islanders. I think schedule was probably, uh, if not the biggest factor, one of the big factors in the decision that the coaching staff made. But, you know, in hindsight, Cam Talbot's been hot, and this team needs points. And right now, I think he gives you the better chance to win. So uh, I'm anxious to see how they, they hand out starts to the goaltenders moving forward here. Yeah, I, I've touched on it a couple times today, and I'm in the same boat as, as both of you. I think I would have given the start to Talbot myself. Um, I just – I've liked the presence he's had in net. The, even just the, the basic stats of he's only given up four in his last – three games that were all wins and you know home's been a tough place for them to pick up points lately I think it sometimes is just simplifying it sometimes when it comes to the this discussion is you know if one guy's just playing better than the other guy then that's the guy that 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 needs to play and I know schedule plays into it and even last month uh, in February when Talbot shut out the Ducks and then Ta uh, Riddick got the start against the uh, Blackhawks on Blackhawks, Saturday yep. and things didn't go well there and that's always going to be a factor of it and I'm sure that there's plenty of factors that the coaching staff look into before they decide who's going to start but at this point this late in the season for me it, it's a very simple conversation and then just Talbot's given you the better goaltending lately and I feel like he's just been the stable presence that the team really needs more specifically at home than on the road and I'd like to see them go back to the uh, to Talbot when the Islanders are in town on Thursday. And I think they will go back to him against the Islanders. That and and I'm with you, Derek. I think that the the main reason why we saw Riddick get the start is because of the way the schedule shapes up and the fact that the Flames are as you know they they don't play again until Thursday. So I believe it would be 12 days between games for David Riddick if he didn't get that start. So I. I do understand the reasoning in that regard. Um, I, yeah, I would I have gone with Talbot? Probably, because I, I do think it's important to get wins and pick up points right now. And and if that was the reason, if that was the reasoning, maybe you go Riddick against Arizona and, and Talbot against Vegas. I don't know. But I just, the more importantly to me is I don't know if the Flames are at this point yet internally. I don't know if they're going to get there internally. But 
I think this needs to be, and it goes back to a conversation we had last week, I think it needs to be looked at now as a tandem, and I'm not sure if that's the case. I, I still feel like maybe Riddick gets more of the benefit of the doubt and, and is still kind of penciled in on the top of that depth chart. I just feel like the way both of them have played and specifically how well Talbot has played over the last three months, that this deserves to be a Talbot, uh, sorry, deserves to be a tandem. And and I think that sets up both best for your team, too, if you are looking at it that way. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how they use their goalies here in the final 12 yeah. games. I don't I don't have an idea how they're going to, but I, I feel like this should be a tandem right now. Yeah. And for me, whatever plan they have, and I'm sure they have a plan it would be written lightly in pencil. <laughs> I mean, yep. if, if they do go to Talbot on Thursday night and he has a good game, I probably go right back to him. If he doesn't, then I probably go right back to Riddick. I mean, it's, I think, a really interesting debate. And I suspect, and I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect that the management group and the coaching staff is probably debating this on an almost daily basis. And we always talk about internal competition on the team, whether it be with the tandem of Riddick and Talbot, or, you know, you got eight defensemen who are healthy right now. Well, seven, depending on how Noah Hannafin is after leaving yesterday's game. And then you've got Travis Hamannick, I think, ready to come back in the next week or two. That's going to create some internal competition to get into the lineup and for power play time and penalty kill time and all that stuff. And, you know, they don't have as much depth at forward at the NHL level right now. But, you know, Zach Ronaldo finally gets into a game. I think he'd be in a healthy scratch in eight straight prior to last night. So they've got some some healthy internal competition on the team. But I think that there's probably some of that same internal competition going on with the management group and the coaching staff when it comes to these lineup decisions, specifically to who they're going to go with in goal. And I think that that is a good thing because you want to bounce things off of your colleagues and you want to challenge your colleagues. I think that's how you get the best out of the people that you work with. So it's, uh, it's going to be something that we're talking about, I think from now until the end of the season, they've got, two guys who when they're on their game can can both put this team in a position to win way more often than lose and and that's good but right now I think Talbot's giving them a better chance to win than Redick and another factor for me fellas he's just so calm back there and I do think that that can rub off on your Mm -hmm. teammates watching David Redick in games and practice he looks really unsettled jittery to me and Another difficult job for coaches, and it might be the most difficult job that they have in this day and age, is to manage their players. Because every guy is different. Every guy has a different personality. You know, some guys uh, are really emotional like Riddick. Other guys like Talbot are really even keeled and never get too high and never get too low. So you have to manage every guy differently. And this is one of the reasons why I really don't like to second guess managers and coaches is because as well as we know, Cam Talbot and David Riddick, they know those two players and they know all the players better than we do. So I know that they talk about it and, and, you know, how do we put this player in a position to succeed? Because if he succeeds, then the team succeeds. So maybe they just thought that David Riddick had to get back in there sooner rather than later because they, they watched him, they talked to him and just thought, you know what, we need this guy. We've, we've got to get him in there and, and, and get him back to where he needs to be because we need them to, to get to where we want to be. So mm-hmm. that's another factor that sometimes I don't think we think about enough or talk about enough, but uh, coaches have to manage players. And uh, again, that's why I don't like to second guess some of their decisions. 
Yep, for sure. Uh, final topic on our daily Calgary Flames roundtable. He is Derek Wills. He's Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. Uh, as you mentioned, Willsie, Noah Hannafin leaves yesterday's game early in the first period. He only played two minutes when it's all said and done, and that meant that they were down to five the rest of the way. How much more, I guess, how much better do you feel about a top four defenseman leaving now than before the trade deadline? Well, I feel better about it only because they have more depth, but I don't feel good about it. I mean, Noah Hannafin's been really good for them, especially, I'd say, in the last two to three weeks. Really since Mark Giordano and Travis Hamannick were injured, I think Noah Hannafin has really stepped up his game. He's produced more offensively. I think he's been pretty solid defensively on most nights, and he's a top-four guy on, I think, every team in this league. So, you know, if he's out for any period of time, they're certainly going to miss him, but they won't miss him as much when they get Travis Hamannick back. And they won't miss him as much because they've got Oliver Shillington and Michael Stone, who are NHL defensemen that are chomping at the bit, waiting to get into a game. And they also won't miss him as much because they have two left-shot defensemen in TJ Brody and Eric Gustafson, who are both playing the right side right now. So it just gives them so much flexibility. If they want to slide... Brody or Gustafson over to the left side, they can do that because that's where Hannafin plays. Or they can bring Shillington in. So the, the, the fact that Brad Treleving went out and added two NHL defensemen to this team before the deadline, an offensive guy in Gustafson, a defensive guy in Forbort. Gustafson plays in the power play. Forbort plays in the penalty kill. And then you get your captain back, and he plays in all situations. And sooner or later, you're going to get Hamadik back. And, and certainly, he's a really good defensive defenseman who can help you out on the penalty kill. Uh, I, I think the depth of this team is really going to be an advantage if Hannafin is out for any period of time. Mm -hmm. But uh, knock on wood, let's hope that it was more precautionary than anything else. Yeah, I, I'm definitely happy that if you're looking at the Flames' decor right now, that you're looking at uh, the unusual task of having three days off to potentially uh, get two guys that are really going to be important down the stretch healthy in Travis Hamannick and, and now potentially point. Noah Hannafin because, you know, it'll be tough for them to sit here the next few nights and even us as we watch the scoreboards and all the sort of standings up and down, you know, the next few nights to sit out and watch and see how things can change so quickly. But if, if there is a positive to it, it's that, you know, Travis Hamannick should be back practicing with the team the next few days and getting that much closer and then hopefully Noah Hannafin you know, gets the time that he needs here to, to be back at 100%. And, uh, well, I don't worry as much because they added two NHL-caliber defensemen. I, I certainly hope it's not a long-term thing because I think you, at this point of the year, you definitely don't want to be going through too much changes in your lineup and your defensive pairings especially. Um, and the Flames already have that task still ahead of them when Travis Hamnick comes back. They have to adjust for when he comes back and takes a definitive top four role back on this team as to how they're going to adjust beside him and now below him. And so I think if you take Hannafin out of that conversation, even for a short period of time, it messes things up. There's less time for guys to practice together, to get familiar, for whatever the pairings might look like when this team is healthy. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, I certainly hope it's short-term because they still have to go through that, and there is only so much time left before that happens when, whenever Hamnick comes back. Uh, everything, like, it, it sounded as if, you know, the, there was not a ton of worry surrounding ha Hannafin yesterday. You went and go, you go back and you look at the play. It was it was that play where Lucic was, it, it really was, mm -hmm. it was kind of a, a freak accident. So Lucic was a wrecking ball last night. He, he leveled Brandon Peary, but at the same time as Lucic was 
kind of locked in on that hit. Hannafin was pinching down the right side boards to keep a puck in, and so that all three of them came together at the same time, and that's the last time we saw Hannafin in that game. His head kind of jolted back, and I'm not sure if he hit the glass or the dasher yeah, board that was or what it was. Wonder was if his, the back of his head hit the dasher. That was my question mark, because I asked you at first, I said, did you see his head hit the ice? Because that was my initial worry, but his head really doesn't hit the ice at all, so you're really only talking about contact from Peary in some form or maybe you know the back of his head hits the dasher there that was my big concern when I saw it again but I I do think that this team is in a a far better spot as as you just laid out there Derek the two acquisitions they made at the deadline and I and you're right I think Hamannick is is knocking on the door here to return whether it's on this homestand or not until this road trip I'm not sure but he's getting a whole lot closer and so even if they are without Hannafin for a few games here I think they're in a much better spot to be able to absorb that than they were Mm -hmm. before and even look back when Michael Stone played against Boston, he didn't know if he was playing or not. Stone's done a pretty good job. Shillington has done a pretty good job. So I think that they'll be okay if Hannafin's out for a little bit. But again, didn't sound as if there was too much concern about the long-term situation there. Um, so that that would be the good news when it's all said and done. Yeah, and Logan, you made an excellent point about three-day break. I think the biggest advantage for the Flames now is that they could potentially get both Noah Hannafin and Travis Hamannick back for Thursday night. If not, then at least they're not playing games between now and then that are they're coming off the schedule. So that that's pretty good timing as far as those two defensemen are concerned. But just for for fun, let's say well, I guess not fun. That's the wrong word. But let's just say that Hannafin for sake and of conversation, Hamannick, yeah, for the sake of uh, you know just throwing things to the wall to see if they stick. Let's say that Hannafin and Hamannick can't play against the Islanders on Thursday night. What do the pairings look like? I would probably go. Mark Giordano, Rasmus Anderson. I would probably go back to TJ Brody and Michael Stone because they played a lot together and played pretty well together in that big victory over the Bruins in Boston a couple of weeks ago. And then you can leave the two new guys together uh, for some consistency with Derek Forbort and Eric Gustafson. So that's probably how I'd line things up if Hannafin and Hammond can't go on Thursday. No, uh, I, I might. I'm actually going to stick with the captain with TJ. And if anything, I, I'd actually like to see Oliver Shillington get back into the lineup. Also, mainly for the fact that I think Oliver's game doesn't mirror Hannafin's game, but the the smooth skating, puck moving defenseman, it kind of re, you know relates to the two of them better. So I wouldn't mind seeing Shillington on a pair with with Anderson, say something like that. And keep uh, Gustafson with with Forbort, and then you can keep the captain with with Giordano. That that'd be how I would go. Um, I I think that I would would probably I just worry about Shillington and Gustafson in the lineup at the same time. I really do. Uh, so I think I would go the way that you're you're thinking, Derek. That's kind of the way that I would probably set things up. The interesting thing is if if Hamannick is in and Hannafin's not, uh, that changes things up. And yeah. And, but and and I probably would would think about things a little bit differently if Hamannick's in and ha- and and Hannafin's not. But if they're both not in, I think that's probably what I do. Um, you can sp- you can definitely use Anderson. Giordano is kind of like your huge minutes uh, guys, and that they're going to be the guys that, that spend the most time out there, and then you can kind of spread things out among the rest of the pairings. So that's probably the way that I would look at it. Yeah, and what an advantage having guys who can play on both sides, like Brody and Gustafson, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really important thing yeah. that they've got going on. Uh, good stuff, Mr. Wills. We will talk to you tomorrow. Have a wonderful rest of your Monday. All right. Good night, guys.
Every Flames pregame show, we will bring you the iconic moment. I bring you a moment from the past. I ask you a trivia question about it, and then if you get that trivia question correct and do the first one through, then you're entered into our grand prize draw. It is a trip to the NHL Awards in Las Vegas, including airfare and accommodation for two and $600 spending cash. It's all brought to you by our friends at Iconic Electric and Controls, promoting a culture of quality since 2008. Visit IconicEC.ca. Our next iconic moment, Thursday night, when the Flames welcome the New York Islanders. It's a busy Monday, all things considered. Some huge playoff implications on the NHL schedule. We'll take a closer look next on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. For a Monday night, relatively busy schedule on the NHL ice, and of the five games, there isn't one devoid of playoff implications. There are some with more than others, uh, but let's get to the big ones. Sure. The, uh, the big ones that involve the postseason are a pair of them in the Western Conference. The Arizona Coyotes need to beat the Winnipeg Jets tonight. This is a huge one for Arizona. Coming off that loss on Friday to the Flames here, it was a tough one for them. They were close. They played hard, but they weren't able to score that final goal in the second period. They scored the one in the second period, which got them back within one, but they end up losing that game to the Flames. They fall five back of Calgary, and that's that's a big-time hole to climb out of. But this one, they've got to have. They're two back. They have played more games than the teams they're chasing right now, and one of those teams that is right there with them is the Winnipeg Jets. This is a huge game for Arizona as they just have not been able to find it over the last couple of months here. A team that was on top of the Pacific Division is now teetering on falling out of this thing. Uh, so this is a huge one for the Arizona Coyotes. They're going to go with Darcy Kemper. It's going to be Kemper Hellebuck as your confirmed goaltending matchup, so a pretty good one in that regard. I'm fascinated to see how this one plays out because both the Jets and the Coyotes fighting for their playoff lives right now. Yeah, this is one of those games where it's it's huge for both sides. We talk about Arizona because we've seen them, but you know if Winnipeg winds up losing this one too and lets Arizona right back into that wild card race, and the wild card race, I've said this for a little while now, almost more important to the teams in the Central because they really don't have much of a chance to catch Dallas for third in that division. So now all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're saying, look, it's a wild card spot or nothing. We can't. We've got enough teams to battle with here. Minnesota's come on out of nowhere. You can't count out Nashville by any means, uh, even though they're not the team that maybe we expected them to be this year. Well, Nashville's, Nashville's in on points percentage. Right exactly. now, the two wild card teams on points percentage are Vancouver and Nashville. Now, it's by. Point zero zero one, mm-hmm. um, but they're ahead of Minnesota. Even though the Wild have more points than those two teams, points percentage Vancouver and Nashville are in. Depending on how you like to look at these things. Yeah, and honestly, for for Arizona, they this was supposed to be one of those years where they they went around and changed their fortunes. They got Phil Kessel in the off season. They made one of the biggest trades in the NHL this season a while ago now to get Taylor Hall. And while that certainly I don't think looks like a bad trade for them because he's been 
pretty much as advertised for All Arizona. All kind of depends on whether or not he's back. Right? Well, exactly, he right? If, if you don't, well, imagine if he doesn't resign and you don't make the playoffs, then it's an unmitigated disaster which is a, of which a season. I think that is a there's a very this large a, chance outcome that right that now. happens. Yes, absolutely. If I'm if you asked me to to pick out of Minnesota, Vancouver, Nashville, Winnipeg, and Arizona, I'll leave Chicago out of that. Which team I feel is is most you know most likely to not be there when it's all said and done? If you were telling me they were all on equal terms, you know, not taking the three point gap in there, yeah, Arizona's that team for me. It's not even close. Even if they were tied on points, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's just what it is for me, man. And Winnipeg and Nashville have been there the last few years. Uh, Vancouver's downtrodden for sure lately, but uh, you know. It just it just hasn't worked for Arizona lately, and look, they're good thing they got Kemper back because they they're gonna need him down the stretch, and it's no easy schedule for them. They've got Dallas coming up in a few weeks. They got two more matchups with Vegas this month. Uh, it's not gonna be any easy treading for for Arizona. They need two tonight. The other big game in the Western Conference with playoff implications happens in our provincial capital. This is a massive one. The Ooh. Edmonton Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas has won ten of twelve. They just beat the Flames last night. Now they're into Edmonton. This is uh, the Oilers with one fewer game played. So a really big opportunity if Edmonton wants to win the division, a really big opportunity here for the Oilers to move into more of the driver's seat position because if they can beat the Vegas Golden Knights in regulation, they'll have the tie break on regulation wins. They'll also be tied in points with one fewer game played. So I, I don't know how big of a swing game this is, but that's another big one. Vegas and Edmonton from a flame standpoint, I, I don't know what you want. You don't want a three-point. Point game, no, right? don't go to overtime. Uh, but do you want Vegas to win that game? Because Vegas is already five up on you with even games played. I mean, five to seven, what's the difference there? Yeah. Do you want to stay within striking distance of Edmonton and hope Vegas wins? Or do you want the Oilers? Teams are only five back. As long as it doesn't go to three points, I guess, is what you're looking at from a flame yeah, standpoint. there's no great outcome either way, except that they don't split the three points in that. I look at this one, and I'm curious if this isn't a statement game for Edmonton to say, we're legit. We're one of the, the – we can roll with a big boy team like Vegas, regardless of the fact that Vegas played last night because I, I don't think it matters as much in Vegas because they're rolling with two number one goaltenders. So Marc-Andre Fleury is going to get the start tonight on the second half of a back-to-back -back for them. To me, this is what what I look at it for, you know, Edmonton to uh, come into it at, you know, the 70-game mark and say that they're first in the Pacific Division ahead of a team like Vegas is – would be a huge thing for them and you know keep pace with them all the way like that it's going to be tough down the stretch either way because you know the points are going to be so close as it winds down and there's still three ish weeks of hockey left to go there's going to be lots of points up and down but for me it's a kind of a statement game for them to to hang with a team like vegas like that at home in front of your home crowd big game for them yep i uh this is I think this is the marquee matchup of the evening, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers. No Washington, doubt about Washington Buffalo that. doesn't do that for you? No. The mm. uh, the only other one that's really interesting, I mean, the, the Florida Panthers are very much still in this thing, despite the fact that they had lost eight straight games at home and all that type of stuff. By the way, uh, goaltending matchup is confirmed tonight. Marc-Andre Fleury gets the start for Vegas. Miko Koskinen, who is dynamite on Saturday, gets the start in net for the Edmonton Oilers. Panthers and Blues is a big game tonight. St. Louis is continuing to lead the Central Division, but they are 
just keeping Colorado behind them. The Avalanche are also in action tonight. Mm -hmm. But if you're Florida, this is a real opportunity to close the gap on the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Panthers right now are three back of Carolina for the final playoff spot in the uh, wild, cards, wild card race, but they're also three back of Toronto for the final playoff spot in the Atlantic. And the Maple Leafs, who have kind of just been scuffling along here, have one more game played. So this is Florida's game in hand on the Toronto Maple Leafs. To get that gap down to one is a pretty big opportunity for them unfortunately they've got to go on the road and take on the number one team in the western conference so it's not like it's a, an easy outing for them no. oh and the blues have won nine of their last ah, 10 yeah. so it's it's not like this is going to be um one that's ripe for the picking for the panthers but that's the only other one with big time playoff implications on both sides uh, you mentioned Capitals and Sabres. Caps are desperately all of a sudden in a fight with Philadelphia for top spot in the Metro. Both 89 points, both 68 games played. The only reason Washington is ahead in the standings is because of the second tiebreaker, the ROW column. And finally, Colorado will try to, at the very least, keep pace with St. Louis in the Central Division. Avalanche took a big win over San Jose last night, and they're into Los Angeles tonight. That Avalanche team rolling at the same clip as St. Louis. Uh, Blues 9-1-0 in their last 10. Avalanche 8-1-1 in their last 10. <laughs> the Central Division has, all of a sudden, there's a gap, St. Louis and Colorado, and then a big-time drop to Dallas right now. Yeah, uh, I'll go back to the Florida one to to start. I'm stunned the Panthers are still in this. Like, the fact that we're still talking about them in this race is so unbelievable to me. And it's almost more unbelievable to me because of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the fact that they swing through California there and pick up one point and just can't seem to get it together for any stretch of period of time this season. There is so much riding on that team. They've invested so much into this year, and the cap situation only gets harder from them here on out. And you're scuffling into the postseason again. And good luck again with you. The way this playoff format works out, you're going to see Boston or Tampa Bay in the first round. Well, congratulations. You went through California and picked up one point. I'm sure going to have a lot of confidence in you doing that because there's no way Florida should still be in this conversation. They traded Vinny Trocek for you know two more resourceful parts of their team. They've struggled of late. The Leafs have had every opportunity to put them in their rearview mirror and, and get away from it all, and they just haven't done it. Um, not that I feel any bit more confident in Florida coming against St. Louis because – like you mentioned, St. Louis and Colorado are literally just going shot for shot uh, as the NHL schedule winds down to see who winds up in first in the Central. So uh, when your last 10 for St. Louis is 9-1 and one and Colorado 8-1-1, and one, uh, I'm going to you know put my money on those two teams to continue doing what they're doing. Uh, Drieger versus Binnington is your goaltending matchup tonight for the Panthers and the Blues. The former Hitman gets the start in a big one for Florida. Uh, looks like it'll be Franceau for the Avalanche, and Jonathan Quick is your projected starter for the Los Angeles Kings this evening. Big night in the NHL. Big night Wednesday at all three Hudson's locations because it is the final Hudson's Hot AF Wings Challenge of the springtime. Woo. Join Will Nault and I at Hudson Shaughnessy. We'll be there for the final one, but more importantly, just come on down to any one of the three locations. Shaughnessy, you've got Crowfoot, and you've got the downtown location. Sign up starting at 6.30. 
give your hand and stomach and mouth a try at the Hot AF Wings Challenge, and uh, you could win yourself a bevy of decent prizes, including more than decent, great prizes, including wings for a year, including an awesome T-shirt. You've got the limited edition pin if you do the Death Wing, and if you do that Death Wing, you're also getting the invite into the year-end party, which just happens to be this Friday night. All the information at sportsnet.ca slash 960, and tune in Wednesday to our program, Pinder and Steinberg, for how you can win a $50 gift card at Hudson's. But get there. Hudson's Shaughnessy, Hudson's Crowfoot, Hudson's Downtown Wednesday for the final Hudson's Hot AF Wings Challenge. Will Nalt and I will be up at Hudson's Shaughnessy as we continue on Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You know, we went and got a couple of defensemen at the at the deadline. I mean, the game is hard at this time of year, and injuries are going to happen. And uh, the fact that we've got bodies now, we're able to plug a, a guy in that you know is a is a good NHL player, and so I, I don't think we'll miss a beat. I mean, we have to see what's uh, you know what's going on with Noah first, but we've got a lot of good options that we can use if, in fact, he's out for a while. I'm not sure what the situation is with Noah Hannafin, but that's certainly somebody to keep an eye on. But as you just heard from head coach Jeff Ward. Last night after Hannafin went down in the first period, they're probably a whole lot more comfortable with that situation today than they would have been prior to the trade deadline, mainly because they've got other NHL defensemen that they can plug in and, and feel pretty confident about plugging in. That's the scenario that they have put themselves in. So every indication I've gotten is that it doesn't sound like there's a ton of worry surrounding Hannafin's injury but I don't know whether he's going to play on Thursday against the Islanders don't know if he's going to practice tomorrow here at the Scotiabank Saddledome but they are in a much better spot when it comes to their blue line and their blue line depth especially with Travis Hamanick knocking on the door for a return too yeah you're not talking about I don't think anything major of course I'll, I'll say that and maybe something changes tomorrow but um you, you just have to feel better just because of the amount of NHL defensemen that are, you know, here on a nightly basis and maybe aren't playing for the team. I think Michael Stone or Oliver Shillington have every capability to, to come into this lineup and uh, perform for them if they're put in the right situations. I don't know that either one of them are established every day NHLers right now, but uh, there's there's certainly enough depth on this team that I don't think there has to be any sort of major concern or worry. Uh, and that's eased for sure by the fact that Travis Hamannick seems to be on the upswing in the back half of his injury for sure. So, Here is a statement that just came down about five minutes ago. Uh, this has been issued by four different sports leagues. Yes. Uh, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, the NBA, and the National Hockey League today issued the following joint statement. I'll read it to you verbatim. Quote, after consultation with infectious disease and public health experts and given the issues that can be associated with close contact in pre- and post-game settings, all team locker rooms and clubhouses will be open only to players and essential teams and team facilities until further notice. Media access will be maintained in designated locations outside of the locker room and clubhouse setting. These temporary changes will be effective beginning with tomorrow's games and practices. We will continue to closely monitor the situation and take any further steps necessary to maintain a safe and welcoming environment. End quote. That just came down about five minutes ago from those four different sports leagues. And again, Again, Logs, this isn't surprising. I find it extremely humorous in a bad way, all of the bemoaning that I've seen from other media people. Not not, not lots, but mm -hmm. very few media people about 
my access and my quotes and my nah. relationships. Yeah. We're dealing with something that's extremely serious here. Let's um let's let's put our let's put our jobs um, off to the side. Let's put our individual priorities below the um, good of the human race like yeah. let's let's uh let's let's not worry about sitting down and sidling up to a hockey player and, and getting some exclusive quotes there are there are more important things right now so i uh and again it's only a few i have for instance i haven't seen anybody in our market do that because no. um we've got a very good media market mm-hmm. um but i just like some of the the complaining that you're seeing like okay like this is yeah, we're, we're not the, the we're not faking this. Like the World no. Health Organization and the the CDC and like the league, we're not just. This isn't some big hoax out to get the media. Like we're we're trying to keep everybody safe here. And and pro sports teams have millions upon millions upon millions of dollars invested in their players and the product that they put on the ice or the court to the field. So I think we can deal with it if um, the locker rooms and are closed is, for the exactly, next couple and of this months. Exactly. This is such a minor inconvenience. It's not like they've. They've locked out access to all the players, and that you're not you're not ever going to hear from the players. Or all of a sudden, you know, for for Thursday, you guys aren't going to be allowed to talk to Jeff Ward for the coaches show ahead of that. You know, it's not anything like that. They're just trying to limit the areas where people are going in and out of, and you know, they've upped the cleaning and all that sort of stuff. They're they want to be able to control exactly. their as best as they can their own areas. And let's be honest. You can't blame them for that. I feel sheepish enough being in the Flames locker room. It's just, like I hate it when like I I'm like I, I feel awful when I'm when I'm standing uh. there and or I'm sitting down talking to a guy and I'm sitting in somebody's stall and I'm so sorry, man. Like it's their area. Yeah. Like what the, the, what are we doing in there to begin We're with? We're lucky to have that sort We're, of exactly. access. Exactly. And they're not they're not taking it away from us. No. They're temporarily doing this for health reasons and they have been very very clear to say temporarily. So let's just let's deal with it. And you know what else? Like, get used to other things happening. We're yeah, just starting start to scratch the surface of what might happen here. Yeah. So I think we can all live with not being in the locker room. And I think that you listening, you'll probably be okay with the fact that Derek and Pete and, and me and we're not going to be in the locker room. I, I think you're not going to have your enjoyment of sports taken away, I promise. No, and the coverage that we bring is going to be affected by this at all. We're still going to talk to the players. We're still going to you know, be involved, we're still going to be practice tomorrow, all that sort of stuff. Nothing in that respect changes here. And if anything, you know, this isn't just for the teams here. This is just for the, you know, it affects them, but it's an overall for everybody here. They don't want to spread this. They don't want to be involved in any of that sort of stuff. So, look, if there's minor precautions like that that we have to take, I'm all for it. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. Go home. I will. Uh, that'll do it for Pinder and Steinberg. He's Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. The Sports Drive at 5 is around the corner, and we have got a ridiculous amount of ground to cover with Elliot Friedman. We're going to do that coming up next. Pinder and Steinberg rolls into the Sports Drive at 5 next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's start the sports drive with the one and only Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada. We have got a ridiculous amount of ground to cover with Freed. You joined us earlier today, and we started with a rather serious subject, but we get into the salary cap, what's going on in Ottawa, and the Pacific Division playoff race as well. But we know precautions are being taken around the NHL when it comes to COVID-19. And here is a little bit more on that from Elliot Friedman in terms of some of the precautions and some of the other things these leagues are thinking as Elliot joined Logan and I earlier today. Well, I mean, I think the key thing that you said there, Pat, is that it continues to evolve. And um, the NHL was supposed to have some business meetings 
uh, later this month. They usually have those um, where basically all the key business employees from each team get together. And those sounds like they're going to be canceled if they haven't been canceled already. Um, you know, we're all wondering about games. We saw the, the tennis tournament last night. We just saw, I don't know if you're aware, but the whole country of Italy just announced basically it was shutting down. Yep. And it was the Northwest yesterday. Now it's the whole country. Um, Serie A has been shut down. Uh, I know there, there's some hockey playoffs in Denmark that have been postponed and the playoff setup has been changed. Um, there's a lot going on and we don't really know where we're going. And um, I think there's a conference call in the NBA tomorrow. There was one with the owners in the league today, Major League Baseball today. I believe there's a hockey one tomorrow. Um, you know, there's there's a lot going on here, and, and the, the target is constant. Can I come on the bed? Yeah, you can go on the bed, Maxie. Yeah. Sorry about that, Pat. Um, it's all good. Uh, but uh, I think that it's, you know, I, I think it's going to be a lot of uh, – I think we're going to know a lot more in the next 24 to 36 hours as opposed to what we know now. It's always good when you get a Max uh, cameo on an Elliot Friedman hit as well. Yeah, especially in such a topic, eh? Like you're trying to sound serious because it's a big deal. And uh, and he walks in, yeah. Well, I'll say this much. Like with this topic, it's good to add a little levity because it is – it's it's actually a, a pretty terrifying topic, and I almost feel bad relating it to sports and, and talking about what it's going to mean for the NHL. But, you know, that's our business, and we're talking sports. The, the fact – like, this is from an NHL standpoint, and, and in this day and age, this is pretty unprecedented stuff. So, like, I've kind of braced myself for – anything like i you know yesterday was very strange doing post game and, and pregame with everything outside of the locker rooms and and that's only a minor change but i'm bracing myself for all kinds of different things that could happen here in the next number of months well i think that's very true pat i think we all have to be flexible right uh, um we don't know where this is going to go and what's going to change and you know i you know I, I think that we all have to understand that this is bigger than sports like this is this is a big deal and we have to understand that we have to change our schedules, maybe. We have to adjust the way that we live our lives uh, in the short term so that everybody else is uh, better off long term. And uh, for me, I just look at it that way. I look at it as, you know, we, we, ha you know, we have to be smart. Um, this thing is spreading. Um, you know, to this point in time, it, it appears to be uh, limited in, in who it's um, you know, who it's really dangerous to. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take precautions. That doesn't mean things can't change. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't do what you can to protect those people. So um, the way I kind of look at it is let's just be smart and let's just be prepared to adapt. And, uh, and we'll see where this goes. Yeah, and I mean – you're right. Like it's it's crazy. We've seen the the women's world championship get canceled in Nova Scotia, which I just feel awful for for yes. those athletes. Um, After you know, the you, whole year that it's kind of been for women's hockey, that's the last thing they kind of needed. Exactly. Um, and and then you've got you, Indian Wells gets canceled a couple of days in advance. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix in Formula One, they're going to go spectatorless, and that's hundreds of thousands of people that aren't going to be at a huge event there. Uh, I, I think that we probably should be prepared for uh, at, at some point 
games being played in different venues or, or non-traditional settings and stuff like that just because like, I, I, that's certainly one of the things that I'm I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's certainly one of the things I'm prepared for. Well, I think one of the things too, Pat, is that, you know, what if, you know, and God forbid, knock on wood, I hope it doesn't happen, uh, an athlete on, on a team gets it. Yeah. You know, I mean, what's, you know, what's that going to do? So I have a feeling that these are all uh, conversations that, like, like, I really do believe that the leagues, like all of them, they've been working around the clock on this. And I think they've all kind of been working together um, to see kind of what, you know, what are you thinking? What are we thinking? And there's places like the Center for Disease Control in the United States that can basically liaise with all of them. So I don't think that this is anything that's being done in a vacuum, Pat. Mm-hmm. I think it's being um, – it's a conversation where the leagues are together on this. They kind of all know what is going on. They're all getting the same advice. You know, Major League Baseball, a conference call today – I believe I saw reports the NBA's is tomorrow. I think the NHL is having one tomorrow. Um, It's not a coincidence that their timing is similar. It's because they're all getting the same information, and we're going to see where we go. And I I believe they've got, as Chris said on Saturday night during headlines, you know, you've got different ideas. Like, do you play with no fans? Do you play with, uh, do you play in neutral sites? Do you have to cancel games or push back the playoffs? Like, I think one thing that's interesting to me is, and one GM said this to me today, like, we've got people complaining about, um, you know, the five-day break in the All-Star game. If you have a choice between no fans and postponing games, you know, you've got LeBron James saying yesterday that he doesn't want to do that. You've got Jason Spetsis saying today that, you know, as much as he would hate to do that, he'd rather do that than no games because – players would rather play. So a GM was saying to me today, if you have the choice, which one are you taking? Postponements yep. or no fans? He is Elliot Friedman, our NHL insider from Hockey Night in Canada, joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg uh, today with Logan Gordon. Logs. Uh, hi, Elliot. Uh, long time no chat uh, as usual between us here. Uh, curious, uh, the the Senator's story here with uh, CEO Jim Little, uh continues to unravel, I guess is the best way that I'll put it. And uh, Brent Wallace of, of TSN, I'll give him credit for this, bringing it out on Twitter, uh, adding a different element to the story today, saying that uh, their VP of Communications and Community Relations, PJ Loyello, is on leave and uh, that they may have had his laptop and, per- and uh, mobile phone. Uh, the organization took it back the same day as Little's firing. What What can you tell us about this? I know it's it's developed into a few different side stories even, but what, what can you tell us about that? Well, I think to, to, um, to kind of explain this, um, so Ottawa has some PR people, Brian Morris and uh, uh, Chris Moore, that have been there uh, for a while. And earlier this year, they brought in a new uh, PR person, and she was there for a while. And I think she was let go. Um, I, I, I don't know my timing, but it was around the time that uh, Jim Little uh, was brought in. And Jim brought in PJ Loyello, and PJ had been with the Montreal Expos for a while. And, um, and then went with the, when the team moved to Florida, he went with them there and was there for a while. I didn't know that he and uh, Jim Little were friendly, but they came in at the same time. So about the time that, 
he was let go. Uh, PJ Loyola was, I guess there's is put on leave is what Brent said. Mm-hmm. And we kind of, because like, you know, initially when I was doing the reporting on some of this, I was trying to reach PJ and I couldn't get contact information for him. And I was like, you know, what, what's going on here? And now I know. And, uh, you know, I think Brent's hundred percent, right. I heard it on the weekend. I don't, there's no reason to believe that Brent is in any way incorrect. So I, I just, I think it just shows you that organizations in a little bit of turmoil right now. I don't know if you're aware about what I reported on the weekend, um, yes. but I think one of the things that could add another level here is that I think there could be some litigation between the or the senators and the search firm that brought them Jim Little. I heard that's also a possibility. I'm curious, Elliot, just as a, a side note to this is, does any of this rub the other owners the wrong way when these sort of stories come to light? Is this something, you know, we, you can, we've heard the jokes and the back and forth about, you know, Eugene Melnick and the Senators for a while now and their struggles, even, you know, to find an arena closer to, to Ottawa and their fans. Is this something that the rest of the NHL, the Board of Governors is going to, you know, try to keep keep it down or... You know, is this something that rubs them the wrong way to a point where they, you know, want to step into it to a degree? Yes. Um, I think that it bothers everybody quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I think the thing is that there's there's really not much the NHL can do um, unless, you know, Eugene Melnick violates some constitutional thing or he misses payments. Okay. And, you know, as far as we know, neither one of those things has happened. Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of where it is. You know, as we know, and we've reported it, they had an, a, a lowball offer to sell the team, um, I want to say, not last summer, but two summers ago, which I guess is the summer of 2018. Mm-hmm. And it was in the area of around $400 million. The league said it's not happening. Um, you know, they, you know, they, we just had one expansion team for 500 million. We had another for 650. And I think Ottawa, if they get a new arena, and there's a lot of people who are closer to that situation than I am, who believe that if there was new ownership, they'd get a new arena, no problem, that it's a valuable franchise. And, you know, I think sometimes people worry about the league, the team might move the sand, the league might move the Sanders. Um, you know, I've looked into, I've heard that same rumor. I've looked into it in the past. I don't think Gary Bettman has any desire to move the Ottawa Senators. I, I just don't believe it. I think he understand like he likes to keep franchises where they are. He recognizes it's the nation's capital. I, I think he knows it's um, you know there's the problems with the Senators are not um, are not something that you need to move the team. I don't think that's a, a factor at all. But I think in order to move out an owner, there have to be especially an owner who wants to be the owner of the Sanders. It's a very big part of Eugene Melnick's identity. He's got, you know, if, if, if he doesn't have the Sanders, he's, he's not who he is now in terms of his profile. And his, it's very important to him. So the, there's only certain situations where they can really do something and he hasn't missed payments. So, you know, that's kind of where we are. He's Elliot Friedman, our NHL insider, joins us Mondays here on Pinder and Steinberg. Elliot, uh, you're fresh off a trip to GM's meetings in Florida, and the big news there was the salary cap projection of anywhere between 84 and $88.2 million. But there's a lot of 
seems to be ever since that news was made public by Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, there's a lot of skepticism as to whether or not that's an accurate projection. What what can you tell us about what you've heard on next year's salary cap based off what we heard from Bill Daly earlier this week? Um, well, I think now, I, I think the other thing that really throws uh, – a, a kind of a strange wrinkle into all of this is the whole coronavirus situation. Right. Didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you know, now, I mean, thinking about where we could be headed, that's another issue. I, I think 88, you know, now thinking about it a bit longer, I would be surprised if it got that high. I, I don't, I, I think that was optimistic and it's, I don't think it's getting there. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to end up around, depending on what happens now, or like we talked earlier, we're kind of in uncharted waters. Um, it's probably going to be in the 84 range. Um, you know, I, I, think the, I think the league gave an optimistic projection at the top, and I believe it hopes they'll be around 84 at the bottom. I know that there's been some real skepticism about it. I think the league believes that one reason it could go up maybe a little bit more than $2 million is because less, next year it believes there's less money in the system and that the, the, league, the league might actually, ha- it might hurt the league in terms of how much they have to pay an escrow. So I, I think that that's kind of where their prediction was. We'll see. There's a lot of skepticism. And, I mean, now, guys, with this whole coronavirus scare, yep, yep. you know, I mean, it throws an additional curveball in there that's potentially pretty big. Taking like the, like taking that out of it, even going back to last year uh, when the projection ended up as one thing and the final number ended up as another. So what goes into finalizing that number? Uh, and and because I know the NHL and the NHLPA have got some negotiations. So what goes into finalizing the cap number and getting a definitive cap when it's all said and done? Well, I, I think the key thing is is they do the math on the revenues and they split it. And you come up with a number, and then the big question becomes, what do the players want to do? The players have the right to bump it up by up to 5%. So let's just say to make the math easy, uh, they come up with the revenue numbers, and they say $80 million. Okay? And then so the players have the right by vote to increase it by, it's called the inflator or the escalator, up to 5%, which would add another $4 million. And in the early years of the cap system, they would always pump it up or almost always pump it up the max because, you know, and one of the biggest arguments was held actually in the Calgary dressing room when, you know, one player, because the escrow costs, the more you bump it up, the more chances the players will get escrow money withheld. And there was an argument in your dressing room years ago where the players were having their vote and one of your uh, players said, you know, um, I'd like to cap it. I don't want to go 5% because there's, we're paying too much escrow. And another player who was a free agent that year uh, said, oh, okay, so you get the maximum amount where you get to sign, where the year you have to sign a new contract, but the year I want to sign a new contract, I don't get the maximum. And that second player's argument won the day. There was always a feeling that you had to put the most amount of money in the system so everybody could capitalize with the biggest possible free agent number. And in the last few years, that started to change. There was just so much complaining about escrow, and the players were so unhappy about it that they started dropping their percentages. You know, sometimes it was closer to two. The last few years, it's been around one. 
Um, and, you know, that's kind of where we've been. So the players haven't been increasing it as much. And and that's the conversation that goes into it, Pat. But like okay. I said, because next year could have been a work stoppage year, lockout or strike, there was less cash in the system. And I think the league was hoping that that meant the number could be higher. Anything else that, that you really took away from 2020 GM's meetings in Boca Raton? It was nice to have some warm weather for a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, bad. you know, I, the number one thing, like, I just, like, I don't um, – I'm in the studio so much now, Pat, that I don't get a chance to travel. Um, I miss traveling, a, not a ton, but a little bit. Like, I think in our business, Pat, I think FaceTime is so important. You know, that's why when I first started in radio, where you guys are now, I, I really like to go to practices and things like that as I was starting out, just so that people would know my face. Like, yep. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, Mark Bergeron had a message to get out last week. It was good to sit down and, and talk to him. Um, you know, it was good to just chat with some guys for a couple minutes. And uh, I, that's, to me, that's the most important thing about the GM's meetings is, can I get, you know, a few minutes with guys just to say hello and what's going on with your team and, and how you doing? Because I think for my job, that's very important. Final thought for you, and that is on the Pacific Division playoff race. Calgary lost a heartbreaker last night. The Canucks are struggling. They lost a tough one at home to Columbus. From afar, just your observations on this Pacific Division playoff race and, and how you see it maybe all playing out. Boy, it, it seems like it almost changes every day, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, like I really like Vegas. I, I thought from the beginning of the year on paper – they were the best team in your division, and finally they're beginning to look like it. Um, you know, I, I, I really, I mean, flew goal last night, but um, I thought Leonard was such a huge get uh, at the deadline uh, for them, solidifying a, a weakness they felt they had. I, I think they're your, I think they're the best team in the division. I know this is going to go over really well on your in your city, but I like Edmonton a lot too. I. I I think that team has made huge steps this year. Um, I think they're getting enough goaltending. I still worry about that being their biggest Achilles heel. But when you've got those two nuclear weapons, I, I like their team a lot. I, I've liked you guys a lot more lately. Um, you're, I think some of your key guys are finally starting to go. Um, I think Talbot has really given you a lot more than you thought you were getting this year. Um, uh, you know, I, I just think, you know, the, the thing that scares me the most about you guys is your inconsistency. Um, I, I, I think you've started to be more consistent lately and I like the way you fought back last night, but I just like to see, I just want to know every night I'm getting Monaghan and Goudreau and Kachuk and Backlund and, and, and Giordano and Brody just being what you expect them to be. And I think that this has been a kind of a year where you guys have been really up and really down. I mean, I'd be concerned about Vancouver right now. You can't have losing streaks at the at this time. I think very quietly that Connor Garland injury to Arizona is going to be a big problem for them. They've got to win in Winnipeg tonight. And I don't – honestly, guys, I don't know what to make of Nashville. One game they're good. The next game they're terrible. I can't believe that way Minnesota's played – I'm amazed the Jets are still in it. Like every week, 
my 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 feelings on these teams changes. That's kind of, but I believe that Vegas is the best team, and I think they should win your division. Great stuff as always, Elliot. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks, Alice. All right, guys. Take care. It's Elliot Friedman, who joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg and the Sports Drive at 5. I told you, there was a ridiculous amount of ground to cover there. I think we got to all of it. We'll talk to Elliot again next Monday. You also hear him on the morning show every Friday right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hey, Lou's Mailbag is also on Friday. If you want to get your questions in, go to sportsnet.ca slash 960. Lou will answer them, and you'll win a great prize. You're going to wear a, win a pair of lower bowl tickets to an upcoming flame game and a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris. It's Lou's Mailbag all brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Primetime menu featuring two courses for $44 available daily before 6.30 and anytime on Sundays. Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. We are dissecting a tough loss for the Calgary Flames around the corner. The Sports Drive at 5 is underway on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Sports Drive at 5 brought to you by Pete the Plumber. The superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Top tip off our own own stick right underneath the bar. I mean, shoot said 100 times, I guarantee you it's not going in 99, 99 out of 100. So it's just a tough one after working yourselves back into the game after being down 3 nothing. Inside Hockey, brought to you by Calgary Co-op. At Calgary Co-op, it pays to be a member. Earn money towards your annual member refund with every fill at your local Calgary Co-op gas station. As we go inside hockey, you just heard Milan Lucic's voice. He was one of the standouts for the Flames last night in a 5-3 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights. A heartbreaker, there's no doubt about it. I'm of two minds on that game last night. On the one hand, I look at it and I say, well, the Flames, you've got to manage that situation better. You've got you've to find a way to at least get that, that thing to overtime because you erased a 3 nothing deficit. You were in a tie game with less than three minutes to go. You've got to get that game to overtime. And I did not like the way the Flames managed things after the game-tying goal from Matthew Kachuk. I didn't like the way that they allowed Vegas to go right back on the attack and right back to Dick. I know the game-winning goal itself was a fluky one, and you know very rarely are you going to see that goal go in, as Lucic just said. 99 times out of 100, that puck doesn't go top shelf. It did last night. But what I didn't like was just the way the Flames kind of seemed to, as soon as, as they scored, it's not that like they let off the gas because they weren't really on the gas, but they allowed Vegas to go right back to dictating that thing and allowed them to get zone time and allowed them to start to cycle it around again. Here's Marty Jelena. So that's that's one half of my two minds. I'll get to the second one in just a second. But first, here's Marty Jelena on how the Flames responded after tying the game at three. One thing we talk about uh, when we, we tied the game, there's two minutes left, is we got to play smart. So playing smart is, is making sure that if there's no play, that puck gets behind, get a four-check, you're above. You don't give them anything uh, uh, easy. Uh, they're going to have to earn it. And, and I thought we did we did that. you got to give them credit. they got some players that can be a difference maker on their side too. And then, uh, you know, it was a tough break with that. Uh, I think it hit uh, Manji's uh, stick and, and got tipping the... Uh, 
in the top net. So it was a tough one. But, w you know, we talk in the last two minutes when you tie the game. That one point is crucial. So we just got to just gotta take that to overtime and, and hopefully get the next one. We didn't do that tonight. Uh, but it was talk on the bench for sure. That is Marty Jelena on our post-game show last night, Flames assistant coach. Here's the other mind that I'm in coming out of that game last night. Yes, the Flames were able to fight back, and yes, I didn't love the way they managed it once it was 3-3, but I just I felt like Vegas was the deserving team regardless. Like You take a look at the overall body of work in that 60 minutes, it really wasn't all that close. And Not, not everybody agrees, but from the way I saw it, that was a Vegas team who controlled things from start to finish. They put on a master class of how to shut down a game in the third period. Really, the Flames had one, maybe two opportunities in that third period down a goal. Yes, they scored on one of them. The Golden Knights only allowed eight shot attempts and five shots in that third period. Like, they're just, it was not this big time push from the Flames. I know they tied the game, but I just felt that over a 60 minute span, Vegas was the better team. Vegas deserved the two points, and they were the group that was full marks for the win last night. So that's the other side of it is that, yeah, they were up 3 nothing, and then Calgary came back on them, but Vegas Vegas deserved those two points, and it kind of ended up being that way for them, and, and the right team won. On the other hand, if you're Calgary, you've got to, even in a game where you were second best, you got to find a way to get that thing to overtime. So... The good news is, because there's not a lot of good news in what I just said, the good news there is that they do play one more time. And Vegas has been fairly one-sided in the three games they've played. I'm curious what April 2nd brings us here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Can the Flames can the Flames find a way to combat what Vegas does and how heavy they are between now? And I know that they don't really care about the game on April 2nd right now. The March 12th game against the New York Islanders is the next most important one, but can they combat what Vegas does and can they fight through, truly fight through and make it an even game when they're playing a team like Vegas, that heavy, um, imposing jam it down your throat type hockey that's one thing that i'm really curious to see whether or not they play one another in the playoffs or when they play one another coming up on april 2nd the second last game of the regular season what'd you think of the decision to go with david riddick between the pipes last night i asked that question rhetorically on on your drive home if you're in your car right now i would have gone to cam talbot talbot is the guy that is playing better talbot riding a three-game win streak. He's been very good during that three-game win streak. If it were me, I would have gone to Talbot. I think I understand the reasoning why they went to Riddick. I still would have gone to Talbot, but I know they want to make sure that both goalies are playing. But here's Ryan Pike from Flames Nation who joined us earlier today, and he gave his thoughts on the goaltending decision and the overall goaltending scenario right now. Riddick was pretty good last night. He wasn't great. Uh, he wasn't... You know, for better or for worse, he wasn't a difference maker. And I think that's the difference between the two Flames goaltenders right now where, you know, Cam Talbot either holds you in games early or, you know, keeps you in games or steals games. I mean, you know, the last stretch of games, especially on the on the road, you know, he was he was excellent in Florida. He was really good the last two or three games he played during the home stretch. And it's you know, I, I get the rationale behind, you know, you, you wanna you wanna have both your goaltenders going because 
you're probably going to need both guys down the stretch, especially, you know, if the Flames get in the playoffs, there's, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that happen and you want to be able to keep your options open. So you don't want to have to be relying on one goaltender who you have a lot of confidence in and one that you have no confidence in. So putting Riddick in, in, in a key game is a nice way of trying to boost his confidence and sort of showing to the team and showing to himself possibly, Hey, you're still our guy. And I don't think, you know, if, if you want to look at the game from a, a glass half empty standpoint, I don't think, you know, if you have confidence in Riddick, a game like he played really deflates your confidence in him. He's still a goaltender who can, you know, hold you in games. He's still a talented guy. And, you know, he's still so new to the North American game and to, you know, NHL hockey that you can convince yourself there's still some upside there. On the other hand, you know, he's he hasn't really, you know, I think he's plateaued a bit at least this year, similar to how he was last year, where, you know, last year he had that knee injury on New Year's Eve that he tried to rehab and tried to play through, and it obviously impacted his performance. And now I don't think he's struggling to the same extent, but I think maybe the, the mental side of the game, the the consistency side of the game is getting to him, given he's played so much hockey. So um, if it were me, I would probably would have come with Cam Talbot. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a traditionalist in terms of the play until you lose mindset. Uh, but I can kind of wrap my head around why they wanted to go back with Riddick. And, like, I understand that line of thinking, and I, I, I think that Pike is bang on when he talks about the reasoning behind the decision and why they they did ultimately decide to go with Riddick because they didn't want to go too far between starts. I still would have gone with Talbot. That's a huge game against the team on top of the division, I just think that that's a stretch. That's a, that's a time when you got to go to the guy who's playing the best, you know. And and I, they went with Riddick. I didn't think Riddick, in his defense, I didn't think he was the reason why they lost the game. I just thought that that was that was a time when you needed to go to the guy who's playing better, and the guy who's playing better right now is Cam Talbot. It's Pat Steinberg along with you. It's the Sports Drive at 5 as we continue from the Scotiabank Saddledome around the corner. A closer look at this blue line situation, how it might look on Thursday, and how it might look a little further on in the future because there's at least one decision that I think is very much pending for this team. That's as we continue on the Sports Drive at 5 on a Monday drive home. Pat Steinberg along with you on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Inside Hockey, brought to you by Calgary Co-op. Calgary Co-op isn't just locally owned, they're owned by you, and you, and you, and you. Visit your Calgary Co-op, together for good. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. And we went and got a couple defensemen at the at the deadline. I mean, the game is hard at this time of year, and injuries are going to happen. And uh, the fact that we've got bodies now, we're able to plug a, a guy in that you know is a is a good NHL player, and so I, I don't think we'll miss a beat. But, I mean, we have to see what's uh, you know what's going on with Noah first, but we've got a lot of good options that we could use if, in fact, he's out for a while. That is the head coach of the Calgary Flames, Jeff Ward, following last night's 5-3 loss in Vegas. Scenario where the Flames lost Noah Hannafin early on, did not return with an upper body injury. They did not practice today, so we'll have maybe a better idea tomorrow on Hannafin's status when the team gets back on the ice for practice. But that does take away a defenseman from this top four group. But as you just heard Jeff Ward say, the Flames went out and they get a couple of defensemen at the trade deadline. That's pushed Michael Stone and Oliver Shillington onto the fourth pairing and his regular healthy scratches. And Travis Hamanick is knocking on the door to returning to the lineup. Now, 
I don't know whether Hamannick's ready to return on Thursday. You know, I I don't think it's crazy out of the question that it could be Thursday. So whether it's on this homestand or it's on this upcoming road trip, you're going to see Hamannick back in the lineup very soon. But losing Hannafin, you never want to see. I just think the Flames are in a much better spot with Hamannick returning and the two players they went and got at the deadline. They're in a much better spot to be able to lose a top four defenseman like Hannafin than they would have been prior to the trade deadline. So we'll wait and see what the situation is there and if Hamannick, rather Hannafin, is practicing tomorrow with the team when they're back on the ice here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Sports Drive at 5 continues. It's Pat Steinberg along with you at the Scotiabank Saddledome in our Better Business Bureau Hot Stove Lounge. But speaking of the blue line, at some point here, sending Oliver Shillington down has to be the move, you'd think, right? I mean, I get that him practicing with the team and having eight defensemen to even out the pairings in practice is important. And I also understand that having two defensemen that you are comfortable with and having, sorry, having eight defensemen that you're comfortable with and two extra defensemen that you're comfortable with, that's important. I understand that. And the the main goal, the only goal is winning right now. And that has to be prioritized over development. However, Assuming this Hannafin situation is not a long-term scenario, and I don't, I don't like everything I'm led to believe, it doesn't sound like this is going to be a super long-term thing, and assuming that Hamannick gets back here pretty quickly, both those things taken into account, they're at nine defensemen at any point this year. Shillington's got to go to the American League, you'd think, right? Like, I mean, nine defensemen, now there's way too many players to go around for puck touches in practice, and Shillington in a nine-player situation isn't going to be getting into the lineup anytime soon. Even with eight guys, he hasn't been rotated in at all. So I, I would think at some point sending Shillington to the American League makes sense. On the one hand, it's good for his development. On the other hand, how much of an asset would that be to your American League team in Stockton who's embroiled in a massive playoff push right now? Kale McLean, the head coach of the AHL Stockton, he joined us earlier today and talked a little bit about the potential of getting Shillington back. It is definitely something where if, if it happens, it happens and we'll deal with it then and we'll deal with it by giving him a ton of ice time. And I think everyone's aware that Oliver Shillington is just an elite level uh, defenseman in, in the AHL. So if we were fortunate enough to have Oliver, then obviously he's going to play in a lot of situations, he's going to play a lot of minutes. But at the same time, Regardless of the Flames having nine, I think that right now we look at it as a situation where Oliver's with the Flames, and until someone tells us differently, we're going to move ahead as we are. He's been there all all year, save a few games with us, and I think that uh, the the best approach for us is to look at it as, hey, if we get him, that's a bonus. But uh, I know that Oliver and the Flames are looking to bigger and better things playoff-wise, so they're expecting him to be there. and. Um, We'll be ready if he ends up down here, if he needs to get warmed up down here, given the fact they have 9D up there. And uh, we'll just go, we'll just follow that route. I, li- I just like the way that Kale McLean put it. Yeah, we'll deal with it. And by dealing with it, we're going to, we're going to play him a ton. We're going to put him right back in, and we are going to use Oliver Shillington like the uh, player that he is. And as he said, he's uh, an elite American League defender still finding his way in the NHL, but they're going to absolutely uh, put him into action and in a big way if 
slash when he ends up in Stockton. That'll do it for the Sports Drive at 5. There uh, is not another Flames game until Thursday. Their next game is against the New York Islanders Thursday night, 7 o'clock face-off right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Uh, for our outstanding producer, Riley Pollock, and for Logan Gordon, my name is Pat Steinberg. Have yourself a wonderful rest of your Monday. It's been the Sports Drive and Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.